Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All theatre lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. Welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theatre's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called... Stop looking at me like that. I fucking hate you. I can't <laughs> stop looking at you. I will... Stop it, stop it, that. <laughs> it's called The British Invasion, and it is covering shows that originated in the United Kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our great what way. Some making a giant splash, and some barely making a ripple. I'm your host, Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and with me today is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Fucker, a twat, if you will. Oh, I love it. Um, it is a friend of the pod, alum of the pod, fan of the pod, Prescott Seymour, otherwise known to our listeners and to his fans as Sutton Lee Seymour. Oh, but you gotta sing it. Sutton Lee Seymour. I'll take it. Is Thank sitting you. across from me, and I do regret it. Um, it's gonna be a great podcast today. We're very excited, motherfucker. Um, I just couldn't decide: is this a British accent or is this Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow it, playing Fagin and Oliver? That's what I was getting with that accent. This is okay. She's popping up a lot in this series because weirdly she's connected to so many of these shows. But it is. Patty Lapone. Oh, that was Patty Lapone. It was no, it was Patty Lapone doing Jack Sparrow doing Fagin as Nancy. Okay, okay. I I have some notes. It was Patty Lapone doing a trousers role. That was Patty Lapone with way too good of diction right there. Well, I disagree, but I guess I just can't hide my excellent diction. Then. Well, I agree to disagree. <laughs> Because Patty Lapone as Nancy and Oliver, those that harkens back to like early day Patty when nobody could understand a bloody word she said. Well, the, especially if you had that accent. Hello. Um, when I did the noises off research, I, I I watched the video of her. And granted, it was a bootleg, so obviously the audio of it's not going to be amazing. But it's circa two thousand one, two thousand two. It's not the worst. Uh, 
audio. You can't understand a bloody thing she no. says. You can understand just about everyone else, but her. But her. Yeah. Hmm. And I leave the sardines. <laughs> but... <laughs> Speaking of Patty, she's going to pop up in this episode. She sure is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sutton, what are we discussing today? Today, we are discussing... The most magnificent of all the British invasion musicals. A sensible one act. A sensible one act. Just a little a little skip ball change of a play. Oh, so much dances in this show. So much. Uh, five, six, seven, seven eight. eight. Les Miserables. Blah, 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 blah. Les Miserables. Now, do you say Les Miserables or do you say Les Miserables? I say Les Miserables. I find the Americans who say Les Miserables, <laughs> who, don't, who don't actually speak any French, uh, I think those are pretentious douches. Yes, absolutely. It, I, it suddenly becomes the Rocky Horror Picture Show yes. and I just say Les Miserables. In the way that I just did? Yes. Les Miserables. Asshole. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I speak petit peu French, uh, français. Oh, God. Very, very, very little. Oh, um, I don't even speak, I can't even say I speak like broken conversational French. I can say some phrases, some words here and there. I learned a little bit when I last went to Paris, just so that I could basically uh, endear myself to the locals so they could be like, oh, you silly little American. Good for you trying to learn français. I speak English fluently, though. Let me go down to your level. <laughs> That's how you get them to be nice to you. If you're like, pardonnez-moi, je suis américain. And they're like, oh, don't worry. I shall speak English, you stupid little boy. But thank you for trying. It's great. See, now, now that's what I want Les Mis to be. Oh, just like full-on country? Yes! <laughs> I mean, could you imagine There's that a little first bit. scene between Valjean and Javert just being like... My name is Jean... It's very... And uh, I am Javert. Wait, it's very... um. Uh, what's her face? Tamisha Amand. My name is Jean Valjean. Oh, I yes. said what I said. Oh, dear. I said what I, I said. said. My name is Jean Valjean. And I... And Javert, little girl, <laughs> little girl, little girl, and I am Javert. <laughs> well, we're earning our daily bread. She's get the one with her hands in the butter. Like that's just full on reading challenge there. Butter. That's in. It's a lyric in. At the end of the day, it's one of my favorite lyrics actually. While we're oh. earning our daily bread, she's the one with her hands in the butter. You must send this slut away, or we're all gonna end in the gutter. Girl, I remember in a high school choir. We, I was in a. You know, people had show choir, but my high school was pretentious, pretentious enough to call Pre- it. Shut up. Pretentious. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you looked at me like a fucking asshole while I did my bit. I'm going to look at you as much as I want. Mm, thank you. Mm. Thank you. May I please have another? No, we ca- we didn't call it show choir. We call it choir opera. And it was a show tunes based choir, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course. one of the songs we sang was at, at the end of the day. And uh, did I learn any of those lyrics? No. Oh, but they're good ones. They're good ones, but uh, 15-year-old Sutton Lee Seymour. Yeah, that's all I got. To be fair, that is how Patty did it, too. Thank you. And that was my my justification. I actually will argue she's at her most understandable and I dreamed a dream. Yes. It's truly at the end of the day. And then, like, Kind of a little bit of Lovely Ladies, but Lovely Ladies is also such a slow temple. A slow temple. Uh-huh. Slow, slow temple. It's slow temple. Let's have a slow temple. My Let's have t- a slow Shirley Temple, please. Oh God, <laughs> a slow Shirley Temple. Can you imagine a slow Shirley Temple playing on Cosette? <laughs> five, six, seven, eight. A shuffle off to Buffalo. <laughs> um, 
No, all the slow tempos. This in the is going great, by it's, the way. Oh, it's fantastic! All the uh, slow tempos in that original London cast recording makes me just want to kill myself. Oh, do you know that original cast record, the London cast mm-hmm. recording? You know what song I cannot stand is the end of Stars, because you know the, the traditional way mm-hmm. it ends. It's a this I swear by the stars. It's yeah. got a big brassy big, ending, mm-hmm. and in the original London recording, uh, it it goes back to scarce to be counted, something in no. darkness fade out and that's it and it drives me nuts all the changes they made for the broadway production were for the the better better. i'm gonna say this right here right now so if anyone wants to come for me in my life is better than i saw him once all of you purists can go fuck yourselves we acknowledge the legitimacy of the original london cast and its work yeah but they made it better for broadway they absolutely did they tightened it they cut some stuff oh we'll get into some more of this stuff in a bit but uh we haven't even started i'm already getting ahead of myself and tracking and oh talk about God. Shirley Temple. <laughs> Shirley, can you imagine Shirley Temple and Les Mas? A, you one, ima- a one woman show of Shirley Temple doing Les Mas. Oh my God. So let's get back on track. Sorry. How were you introduced to Les Mas? I grew up in the uh, mid early 1980s and uh, mm-hmm. my sister was in high school when it came out. So when I was about five years old, four or five years old, like Les Mis was the new hot show on Broadway. I was a kid. My sister was a theater kid in high school, and all they talked about was Les Mis. All she played was Les Mis. I grew I grew up listening to Les Mis because my sister Christy was obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And we just got a new car with a cassette player, mm-hmm. and it's all she played in the car. So I just grew up learning it. It honestly was one of the first bits of exposure to theater, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe why I can still sing ev- most every lyric, except for at the end of the day. <laughs> <That's insane. laughs> um, Famously, uh, Sutton can sing all the lyrics of Look Down, The Beggars in Paris, but cannot sing a word of at the end of the day. Nope. Not a lick. When did you finally see the show? Uh, I saw the national tour of the show, I, I want to say late 80s, early 90s. I was okay. very, very young. And it was at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. I remember people dressed to the nines to go see Les Miserables. Mm. And uh, like literally like girls in prom, prom, in prom dresses. Wow, wow, wow. Prom, girls in prom dresses mm. going to see Les Mis. And I was just enamored. I was so excited to see the show. Because you remember when you were a kid and you listened to Broadway cast recordings and you kind of envisioned the show in your head? We have very different childhoods. Got it. But, but well, you grew up here, so you had Broadway at your... Yeah, but also like the way my brain worked was... Yeah, I mean, bottom line is like, yes, I absolutely know what you're talking about. Because yes. there were certain cast recordings when I was a kid, because I never saw the original, I did imagine how they went. Right. Um, and it's that, like reading a book. You're imagining yeah. the action in your head. And so watching the show... Uh, seeing how the show really was staged instead of the show that was happening in my head blew my mind. For some mm-hmm. reason, don't ask me why, but I remember the confrontation scene. I literally thought it took place on an airplane. Don't ask me why. I was five, okay? Well, this is where you and I are actually very similar. Go on. So, I got into Les Mis, I want to say get, got into, I was exposed to Les Miserables very young as well. My parents... We're obsessed with it. They I mean, everybody so, was. Yes. So when Les Mis came to America, it had already sort of been on the airwaves for about a year because the London cast recording was very popular uh, in Europe and then in America. And then the Broadway cast recording came out and that was just as equally as popular, if not more so. 
there apparently there used to be great debates of like which one was the better one and not just among like theater nerds like among like the general population people would debate the two uh it's even it, it's even mentioned in american psycho where there's there's like a scene where all these like yuppies from wall street are at a cocktail party and like one of the great debates among these like hetero quote-unquote heterosexual wall street guys is like which was better the london cast or the broadway cast that's a whole put a pin in that i have i have things to say on that but that's but, another conversation yeah, that's another story never mind anyway, anyway but so because of that, my parents had the Broadway cast recording. Uh, they were obsessed with it. I grew up hearing it, and I didn't love it as a child. I really? think, but in that way where it's like when your parents really love something, you you either like grab onto it wholeheartedly or you kind of rebel against it. Yes, and that was one of those things where I kind of rebelled against it. Oh, um, interesting. My dad introduced me and my sister to a lot of older movies when I was a kid, and for some reason that was the stuff that I was like, absolutely, I love these two. But the musicals. Or I guess because I fell into that in my own way, the ones that I fell in love with the most as, as a child were the ones that I felt like I fell in love with on my own, on my own. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and they took me and my sister to see it. I was five years old. I was either five going on six or four going on five. It's very, whenever Melba Moore was Fontaine is when I saw it. Oh, wow. Because she was the first black Fontaine. I remember vividly that we went to go see her in it. And I have certain memories of that show as well, some of which are, like, very accurate and some of which are obviously embellished. So, like, I remember Fontaine's death and the confrontation, especially because um, they have that big, like, showdown and then it gets very soft when Valjean's singing to Fontaine. And I wasn't understanding the words. I was just hearing the music. Yeah. And I remember turning to my mom when the music got soft. I was like, are they going to become friends now? Like, because when you're a kid... Because it, it does... It, it's like this climax... Yeah. And then, dun, 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 dun. and then it gets very soft. There is no place for you to hide. But when you don't really, when you're not absorbing the words, right. you're just hearing the music. The music sounds like they're kind of reconciling in a way. I I see what you're saying yeah. because I kind of had a similar thing. Like why they yeah. were fighting? Are they not? Are not, they not fighting anymore? Right. Um, so when I was five, I remember asking her that. I was like, "Are they friends now?" And she, my mom was like, Shh, "No, they're not." Um, I remember. What else do I remember? I remember the attack on Rue Plumet because the Genardier scared me as a kid. So really, when, yeah, because of the way they looked, like they're they were. Uh, I remember like the the uh, black black teeth, the blacked out teeth, yeah. and the big hair. Like b- people who looked very like intense when I was a kid scared the bejesus oh, out of I me. Loved it. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I had a friend who had a souvenir program when I was a kid, and I like would always skip over the pages that the Genardiers were on. Interesting. And also because they were mean to Cosette and like all that stuff. Like, and you were maybe because you were also a little kid, they would be mean to you. Well, Sutton, here's something where you're gonna get blown away by when I tell you this. I don't like Hocus Pocus because... Wow, this was, uh, this took a turn. I know. Gay gasp. Gay gasp. And I will let you finish before I murder you. (laughs) uh, Jocelyn Fox. (gasps) Gasp! Um, But because when I was a kid, I was introduced to it and someone was like, oh, it's the most hysterical movie ever. I'm like six or seven, very sensitive. And it opens with a child getting murdered, essentially, and that scarred me. And as a child, one of my biggest fears was, like, adults were either trying to get me or, like, were being mean to me and no one would believe me. Oh. So, like, with the Tenardis being mean to Cosette and no one caring, uh, the three witches in Hocus Pocus being after these three kids and no one believing the kids, like, that was my greatest fear. Uh, I would have nightmares about it all the time. I get, I get that. I get that, but I... 
as a five-year-old seeing Les Mis, five or six, mm. I just knew it was pretend. I always got that it was just make-believe. Watching little girls get murdered in Hocus Pocus, you know, you don't think about that. But now that you say it, yeah, they murder a little girl at the beginning of Hocus Pocus. It wasn't even that, like, I thought it was real because I'd seen Beauty and Beast the year before. And that's when I realized that it all wasn't real because we went backstage and I went into Bell's house. And there's nothing inside Bell's house. Oh, the, it was the, all the wood. Broadway production of yes, Bell. Oh, yes. Of it, of Unities, yeah. Um, it was all wood inside, unpainted wood with like a stool. And I was like, oh, it's not real. So I was able to make that connection. It was just, it, that just was a very specific thing for me. Interesting. With the Tenardis. And then I also remember Eponine dying. In my child brain, the blood that was on her shirt was actually a red sequin, like, flapper dress. Because <laughs> I remember her coat opening up and seeing, like, the shiny red on her on her and i guess because i was five i couldn't comprehend that much blood on a person so i was like oh clearly she's wearing sequins (laughs) clearly why is she falling down she must take a nap in her red sequins gown on the barricades sequenced gown yes sequins 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 she sequins dress we are sequencing this podcast very well yes i also remember this sewer uh scene with tenardier with a doggy dog scene but in my brain the stage rose like the floor rose to reveal the sewers it didn't it was a whole like other thing do you know what's ingrained in my brain from that first time seeing Les Mis wow. going off of the sewer scene and then there's the, the last confrontation between Valjean and Javert mm-hmm. and then Javert has Javert's soliloquy where he jumps off the bridge and dead! Uh, dead. He's, dead! he's dead. Now, I've seen Les Mis multiple times and when they do the scene where he jumps off the bridge and the, the bridge goes up into the fly and he mm-hmm. just arms up and he yep. goes down the floor. This Javert went into a full third arabesque, leg up into the air, very chorus line, ballet dance, there's no way to go on, and it's just like beautiful technique. But I bought it, and every time I've seen Les Mis and the Javert doesn't do the <laughs> pose, I'm disappointed. You might have seen Terrence Mann as he uh, was a dancer dancer. Well, uh, no, this was the, maybe, uh, did I, he do no. the national tour? Let's consult the IBDB.com. I, uh, I, I doubt he did the tour at any point, but he did come back at one point for the original Broadway production. Uh, and if you saw it in the late 80s, early 90s, those national tours were still, like, pretty, like, they went all out. What you oh, saw, yeah. What you saw in Chicago was exactly what was in London on Broadway. It, it's stayed with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. All 17 years of it. Did you ever get to do Les Mis? No. No! Do you know what happened? I graduated high school and my freshman year of college, guess what musical my high school did? Les Mis. Les Mis. Do you know what my senior high school musical was? No, my no, no, senior no. year, no, my favorite year, which was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but to go from my favorite year to Les Mis, yeah. uh, am I bitter? Absolutely. But my, no, I never got is to Is my Les favorite Mis. year actually good? I only know like two songs. I I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Do you know what? It, it feels, it feels kind of like the producers to me. It, it feels okay. the way it's... Um, the way the plot and the character development, the way it's designed as a musical, it feels like a flawed version of the producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy it. I, I think it's it's not Aaron's and Flaherty. It was Aaron's and Flaherty's first musical on Broadway. That opened straight on Broadway, yeah. Yes, and uh, they, they ended act one with 
a very sad song and they opened act two with a very sad song. I know because I got to sing them both. Oh, you were the Tim Curry part. I was the Tim Curry part. I was the drunk actor. And so anyway, digress, digress. I like it. Alan Swan's his name. Alan Swan. I highly recommend if you don't know my favorite year, the recording is good. You get to hear those. I love early Aaron's and Flaherty Mm -hmm. because you're hearing them discover their sound more and more. If you go all the way back to Lucky Stiff, you hear inspirations of Sondheim. Mm -hmm. uh, And then as you get into my favorite year, they're really discovering their sound. And I think they... They really found it with Ragtime, obviously. Yeah. They... Ragtime. The Les Mis of the 90s. Well, it definitely tried to be. Uh, Yeah. I think that's fair with Aaron's and Flaherty. 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 By the way, I still do not know how to pronounce the names of the composers of Les Mis. Uh, well, let's get into it, and we will try. Let's try. (laughs) Let's get into some history. How we got ourselves... A Les Miserables. How did we get ourselves a Les Miserables? Well, I don't know if anyone's told you, but it's based on a novel by Victor Hugo. Who? Victor Hugo. Victor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The novel was published in 1862. Various critical receptions from it, but it was a very big deal because Victor Hugo was a very famous novelist at the time. He's basically like France's pride and joy, even today, like, He's yeah. their crowning glory. Uh, there's a Victor Hugo Museum. If you ever go to Paris, it's... Oh. I don't know if it's ex- if it's exactly where uh, his house that they turned into a museum or if they just turned a house into a Victor Hugo Museum. But it's really lovely. There is, of course, a whole name is Huang, as there is also a Hunchback of Notre Dame. Dong. <laughs> Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's a porno. That is a porno. We got to write it. Anyway, novel was published. Very big cultural impact. It's over a thousand pages, which is insane. Yes. But it is pretty soon after it was published was considered like one of the greatest novels of all time. That reputation stayed with it. As we head into the 20th century, numerous film adaptations. Uh, there's one in the thirties. that's like four hours long. I've seen it. Yeah, I have watched you? that one. Yeah, yeah. I watched it. It's considered like the best of the movie versions because it's probably the most faithful. It was very good. Yeah, it was very good. It did not feel like four hours long. Ah, that's not true. It felt like four hours long, but when I finished it, I was like, Oh, that was worth it. Yeah. It's not like a Ben Hur where it's three and a half hours of boredom and right. Charlton Heston. And then, 20 minutes of a race but alas it's more like i mean it's more like a kind of a gone with the wind where it's like yes it's long but it it, kind of flows well exactly as i said numerous film adaptations but no musical then around the late 70s one alan boobiel or is it boobiel i think it's boobiel okay uh i'm gonna write that was seeing a production of oliver in london and as he was watching the Artful Dodger on stage, what immediately sprang to mind to him was Gavroche. And he was like, Gavroche could sing. And then he was starting to think of all these other characters and what they would be singing about. So he and Claude Michel Schoenberg. There you go. You did really well with that. You're welcome. Claude Michel Schoenberg. Yes. Uh, Not to be confused with the town in Chicago called Schoenberg. So. Oh, there's a town in Chicago called Schaumburg? Schaumburg. Schaumburg. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Claude Michel is not a town in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> uh, Claude Michel, Schaumburg, Illinois. They put together a two-hour concept album uh, of various songs for different characters. It sold about 300,000 copies. Wow. And then they did a uh, staging of it in Paris, which was sort of controversial. The fact that they're making this concept album in general is a little controversial because, again, the novel is considered so beloved. Yes. And the idea of... What? Was the novel public domain? By that point, I think it was okay. because it had been over 100 years. Okay. Um, and I don't know how uh, 
long public uh, how long things had to go before they were in the public domain at that point but i think now it's after 100 years i just wondered if that was part of the controversy but no what you're saying is it was just so beloved that i can't believe they're making a musical of our beloved novel exactly well especially because in france musical theater is not as much of a thing as it is everywhere else like they really love their sondheim and that's kind of it uh a a lot of other musicals they're sort of like eh, like if you go there you're lucky if you're seeing like two uh musicals playing like they have their uh, musical works more like operas or operettas or whatnot but like musical theater as we know it is not as big over there but as i said the recording did do well the concert did well it played for over 100 performances which doesn't sound like a lot until you realize it was at um the dome de paris which has like seven thousand seats it's wow. a giant stadium maybe even ten thousand seats uh it's a giant giant stadium so like nearly a million people saw that stage concert and 100 performances that's amazing yes and uh, I sent you the link to the audio of that, and I listened to it the other day. I don't know if you listened to any of it. I did not. Great. Um, but now I will. Well, it is it is very interesting to listen to, because a, a lot of the raw meat of the musical that we now know is there. Mm. Um, most of the motifs that we know are there. There's a lot of things that were added, obviously, and expanded. It's two hours in France, and it's three hours plus sometimes here. So obviously things were added, things were moved around. The couple of things that I noticed were the French version starts with at the end of the day. There is no prologue. It's like in the cassette tape version. They mm-hmm. do, they, sc- they skip the prologue. They go right into Which is why the London cast recording, they opened with that same like before going into the prologue because that was how it opened in France and then they changed it when they came to America. You gotta wake him up. You need a bump bump. You gotta say, oh yeah, wake up. We're going on a journey. We'll get into all that. But yes, especially because again, the novel was so well known. They teach it in like high schools there everywhere so they're like everyone just knew the novel right so like we don't need to go through the whole like prologue like let's just open where like this action really begins with fontaine fontaine has two songs before she dies yep. she has her i dreamed a dream which isn't even the first song she sings it's the second song she sings after the like lovely ladies bit which is which isn't even really lovely ladies um but her first song is the melody of on my own yes um and it's like the air of misery is what it's called oh interesting yeah I think that's what it's called, The Air of Misery. And so many other things. It's, it's really kind of more like vignettes, the French version. Okay. There, it, nothing is really strung together. There's not a ton of recitative. It's, you know, more sort of like, similar to like how Evita is like postcards of moments of Ava's life. Yeah. That's sort of what the French concept album was. It was like snapshots of moments in the novel. So they dealt more with the inner uh, psyche of a lot of the characters rather than about like making sure the plot kept going. Meanwhile, that concept album was put on the desk of one Senor Cameron Mackintosh. Heard of him. Heard of him. Uh, that was around 1982. And they're like, hey, maybe check this out. He's like, I don't know, a French musical? And he's coming straight off of Cats. He's like looking for the next thing he wants to do. <laughs> um, while he's- so he went from like, let's have a musical with no plot to a musical with so much plot. So much plot that they had to re- they had to write it in the playbill. Yes, um, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Which is helpful. It's helpful. It was helpful. Most of them is, I think, makes sense uh, at face value there are some moments where it's like what happened here right. and you have to read to be like why it is is what it is because if you get into the mechanics of it it's like well now i'm bored so it's like yeah, yeah no we get what that you'd be bored that's why we kind of skim over it but anywho uh he listens to the recording he likes it a great deal i think there's there's a lot to work with there and he approaches sean burke and Boobiel, and he's like you need an english person to help with the translation but also to like how like recraft some of the songs because the songs on the french cast recording 
are not like traditional musical theater songs. They don't it's have not like, like verse, chorus, bridge. Yeah, there's no structure to it really. Like when you listen to the Fontaine version of On My Own, and like it doesn't have that swell at the end. It's just mm. sort of like, you know, it's just there. And, and even the Castle on a Cloud thing is like really odd because it's also not called Castle on a Cloud. It's like My Prince is Coming or something like that. And it's just the same thing over and over again. This little French girl, and and she even has like a whole and she has like a whole um bit before the song where she's like, uh, they're coming soon and I haven't finished my chores and I'll get beat, but I don't care. I go into my brain and I think of things like my dream. One day my prince will come. Oh yes. Like thing like that. Oh it's yeah. And I just checked out. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so obviously in the English version, like we'll cut all that bit and just have her open with castle on the cloud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Daydream. It's, exactly. Like we just, we just need to see what this girl is like when no one's around. We don't need to ex- have her come out to the audience and be like, look at me. I am Cosette. We just, we, we, we know who she is. Um, they spend about three years developing, two or three years developing the show. Uh, originally, they approach uh, the poet, what's his name? James Felton, I think is his name. Yeah, James Fenton. James Fenton to uh, work on the English lyrics for the show with Alan, Elaine, or Alan Boubiel. And Fenton is not really good at deadlines, and his lyrics aren't tracking, I think is what it's called. Like, um, they aren't fitting with the music as well and on top of that like they're not um they're not scanning as well that's what it is yeah scanning they're not scanning as well he would do he because he wouldn't realize things like um consonants like having too many s's in a line is Ooh, bad or things s's like that and patty lapone mm, s's and patty lapone and certain vowels are on the wrong notes and things like that he like would write these lovely words oh. that like would read well and then you would sing it and you're like well that sounds like crap <laughs> I'm trying to imagine, like, on my own, that, that climactic note. It's like, a world that's full of happiness that I have ever known, right? That that yeah. note, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> what if it was new? That yeah. I never knew. Yep. That's, mm. a, a world that's full of happiness that I could never knew. Or so no, that is... I, I, that that's is, the wrong thing, but I know what you mean. No, yeah. exactly. So that, essentially, that is his challenge mm-hmm. that Fenton was facing. That exactly. Got it. Exactly. And so they approach the South African-born poet slash critic Herbert Kretzmer not a poet slash critic poet slash critic well basically wanted to be a poet um and he uh had written some English translations of French songs for the pop scene in England that had done pretty well Ah. so Cameron McIntosh had heard those lyrics he liked it a great deal and he approached Herbert Kretzmer and he was like hey uh so I know this is February but come October we're opening a musical version of Les Miserables at the Royal Shakespeare Company and we don't really have any English lyrics. Um, Please send help. Yeah, he's like, can you do this? And uh, he's like, well, do you want me to like work with the dude you already have? And uh, everyone's story is different, but the one that everyone can sort of agree on is that the guy they originally hired was like, I don't work well with others. Oh. And Kretzmer's like, well, then I'm just going to have to work alone on this. And basically hold himself up for six months, wrote the majority of the lyrics. Uh, and again, everyone has their own version. So like, Alan Mobile's like, I've contributed a great deal. And Trevor Nunn, the director, is like, I wrote quite a few lyrics myself. But so everyone likes to take credit for everything. So everybody's got a finger in the pot. A little bit. A little lyric pot. Exactly. But the point is, they did get the lyrics done. Good. Uh, in, time, in time for a rehearsal, except for a couple, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, as I mentioned, Trevor Nunn was the co-director with John Caird for this production. It was being co-produced by the Royal Shakespeare Company, mm-hmm. which was itself kind of controversial, Basically, uh, the English critics were not happy that the Royal Shakespeare Company was deigning to do a musical. Oh. Um, and the reason why they were doing it was because Trevor Nunn had had so much success with Cats, and he got 
uh, shit from the critics there being like, oh, Trevor Nunn, the artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, is uh, shelling himself out for commercial theatre. And he's like, well, what if I bring a musical to the Royal Shakespeare Company to do? And everyone's like, oh, the Royal Shakespeare Company's doing a musical. Oh, it's like like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, could not win. Could not fucking win. Right. Poor Trevor Nunn. Poor Trevor Nunn. No one gives white men enough credit. (laughs) But yes, they co-produced it with Cameron McIntosh. And then on top of that, Paris was fucking pissed because they were like, that's our musical. Well, not even that. They were like, we barely allowed you to do the two-hour concept album. And now you're allowing the English to turn this into a three and a half hour mega musical. Musical. We have heard about cats, and you're allowing them to do that to Lamez. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Um, like no one was happy. And then on top of that, Patty Lapone was on the scene, and she wasn't happy either. Oh man. But when's she ever happy? I mean, have you read Patty Lapone, a memoir? It's literally right above you. I am obsessed. The chapter on her Lamez experience. It's just. It's better than. Jesus. I mean, her lame is experienced from her perspective, for sure. Yes, 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 yes. 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 I do love the book, and I love me some Patty, but, you know, everyone thinks of themselves as the victim, and I would... Of course, the villain never knows they're the villain. Never. I'm not saying Patty Lapone is a villain. No, but that memoir is a Taylor Swift album, because it's every (laughs) chapter about it being someone else's fault. But it isn't my fault. I was given those beans. Exactly. You persuaded me to trade away my cow for a part in Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) But... (laughs) Big mistake. Huge. But so, <laughs> yes, they hey, they get to uh, rehearsals for Les Mals. Uh, the show is running four hours. Yes. Uh, they do make some major cuts and some tightening and restructure some stuff. They get it in front of audiences where they, apparently, the rumor goes, at the very first preview, the show gets a 10-minute standing ovation from audiences at the Barbican Center. The rumors say that. That's what the, that's what the word on the street is. Okay. There is no confirmation. Like, there's no audio that can confirm this for us. Got it. There's no physical evidence. Yes. That's just what everyone who was in the room where it happened said. I don't get it. Go on. <laughs> who are you again? I don't even but know so, anymore. The reviews in London at the Barbican Center for the what eventually became the three and a half hour Les Miserables, starring Colm Wilkinson and Patti Lupin, well? were overwhelmingly negative. Oh. The... English critics mostly thought it was trash. They're like, this thing's a piece of shit. Oh, dear. Cameron McIntosh was very upset because he had already put down a deposit to move the show from the Barbican Center to the Palace Theater. And they were hosting a meeting the next day after opening night to be like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we have these, like, terrible reviews. And Cameron McIntosh was like, I don't know. And apparently the story goes is that he went out of the room to take a few calls. And about 10 minutes later, he comes back smiling. And he's like, we're moving. And everyone's like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I just called the box office at the Barbican. Also, everyone should note that I stopped doing all the English accents because I'm tired. He's like, I just called the box office at the Barbican. And they said to me, I don't know how you got through. The phone's been ringing off the hook. We sold 5,000 tickets in the last four hours. Wow. Um, they're like, we've never had sales like this before. He's like, everyone wants to come see the show. And he's like, the demand is there. Let's we're, go. We're moving it. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge hit. Obviously, huge, huge hit. Patty decides right then and there she won't be coming to Broadway with it because it's the perfect acting experience, a perfect play with a perfect company. And yet she still was miserable half the time. Yeah. Artists. Artists. What can you do? She did win an Olivier for it, though. Yes. For playing Fantine. The show did not win the Olivier Award. Oh, what won? Me and My Girl. Huh. And we'll see how the tables turn in just a minute. <laughs> uh, because... It then comes to America, where they do a huge, huge, huge casting call for it. They get equity approval to get Colm Wilkinson to reprise his role as Jean Valjean, and they're going to cast everyone else with uh, American actors. 
they get everyone and then at the last second the girl they get uh they cast for eponine gets smile and she opts to do smile instead oh and you're so happy about that aren't you matt cop i just want to know which girl it was i'm curious was it was it our dear friend Jodie Benson? No, because Jodie was a smile from the get-go, so I don't think she would have auditioned for Les Mis. I think she was like, this is my ticket. But I don't really care for smile all that much, would you say? I think you're lying as he points to the script, the published script of Smile on his shelf next to a recording of Carousel and a Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. And in The original playbill of... Anyone Can Whistle. Oh, Jesus. And I thought I was gay. I'm the musical theater drag queen. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm over gayed right I'm now. I'm a homosexual. What did you decide my drag name was going to be? Oh, I forget. There's so many. I think <laughs> uh, I think you said super niche. Oh, super niche. Yeah. That, but that's your superhero name. We need you. We need like a, a drag name for you. Sure. Super niche. Super. Oh, dear super. God. Lame is. <laughs> soup of niche. Um, soup of, oh, dear God. That, honestly, that should be the name of your podcast. Soup, soup of, of niche. niche. Oh, my God. That's what we're going to name this subseries eventually at some point. Soup of niche. So because our smile girl goes off to do smile, Frankie Raffel, Francis Raffel. Uh, Frankie. Frankie. <laughs> she go, from the London production gets called into the last second to become Eponine, uh, which worked out well for her. And we'll I mean, get to why in a bit. So... Uh, the show g- does an out-of-town tryout in Washington, D.C., which I thought was really interesting because a lot of these British imports, we don't see that very often. Yeah. No. It happens yeah. with Oliver. It happens with Evita. It doesn't happen with Cats. Uh, doesn't happen, I think, for any other British musical of this decade except for Les Mis. And then I guess doesn't happen again until Sunset. But I don't know if you can really call Sunset an out-of-town tryout. That was sort of designed to be its own sit-down production, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, they with they'd, that set too. That yeah, had to be difficult. Yeah, I mean, they, they were trying out new material with that sit down, right. so it kind of acted as an out of town try, but it wasn't. It wasn't like yeah, they weren't moving everything to Broadway. Um, so yeah, this is really kind of the last time they do that, I think, yeah. that I'm aware of, unless someone wants to call us and or DM us and be like, actually, uh, when nobody noticed, uh, when nobody uh, said was that Blood Brothers had an out of town try out in uh, Washington D.C. and then Chicago and then came to Broadway. But I'll figure that out when I eventually do the Blood Brothers episode. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. The show does eventually come to Broadway at the Broadway Theater uh, with an $11 million, $11 million advance, the largest at that time. Uh, it opens March 12th, 1987. And what happened after that, we will get to. But let's now talk about the show. The show. <laughs> Certainly same one. Yes, Matt Koplik. What is Les Miserables about? So, <laughs> this guy steals a loaf of bread. His name is? His name is Jean Valjean. And his antagonist is? Javert. <laughs> and I'm uh, trying to reference the prologue there. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, he steals a loaf of bread, and then he suffers for the rest of his life for toast. Sounds like a gay storyline to me. Yes. You suffered for carbs. Yeah, exa- kind of, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's uh, Jean Valjean is released from prison. Um, he breaks his parole after he has a come-to-Jesus moment thanks to the bishop um, who gifts him this silver that's worth apparently a lot of money. I think it's more implied that it's enough money for him to get on makes, his feet and yeah, then make something make, up. Yeah. So, 
he gets on his feet, um, he comes to God, he breaks his parole, becomes mayor of a town that is just so happens to be uh, lorded over the law by Javert. So mm-hmm. Jean Valjean and Javert are working together. <laughs> the <laughs> drama where they both meet Fantine, who is fired because she has a child out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. This is a lot already. Yeah. How do you make this concise? She has a child out of wedlock, so she's fired from her job. The job that is the factory that is owned by Jean Valjean. Mm-hmm. She becomes a prostitute, is arrested by Javert. She becomes a prostitute, sells her hair and locket, and in the novel, her two front teeth as well, um, to uh, make money. all she money. wants for Christmas is her two front teeth. That's what she wanted for Christmas. Oh, I see. She can't have it no more. No. Someone else wanted it for Christmas, and she said, well, I guess they gotta. Uh, she needs to make money so she can uh, send it to two innkeepers, uh, Tenardier and his wife, Madame Tenardier, who she has left her child's Cosette with, since she cannot afford to take care of Cosette on her own. She sent them, uh, she left her with these two people. Remember when we said Cats had no plot? And has had so much? And now Les Mis has... All of the plot? And this is a streamlined version of the novel. So remember that. So yes, she becomes a prostitute. She almost gets arrested by Javert, who we should uh, remind everyone, isn't aware Valjean is Valjean. Right. Uh, Because I think he he becomes like the new like law enforcement of the town when they meet up again. Because like 10 years have passed. Right. And he doesn't recognize uh, Valjean without the dirt on his face. Right. I didn't recognize you without the makeup. Wow. Gay. Gay. So... Javert tries to arrest Fantine for being a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Valjean intervenes and sees that she's ill and mm-hmm. sent her to the and hospital. That, and that he's responsible for her being out on the street. Yes. Yes. So he takes that respons- responsibility and sends her to the hospital. At that very same moment, a runaway cart lands on a guy. <laughs> <laughs> lands on some day player. Some guy who has the solo, Monsieur Le Maire, I thank you so much for saving my life. And then he's off the stage, never yeah. to be heard of again. Yep. Javert sees Valjean save Rando by lifting up a giant cart alone. And all of a sudden, Javert is like, oh my God, you make me think of this guy, Jean Valjean, who broke his parole. But don't worry, we already arrested him. He's on trial right now. Yeah. Musicals. And, and then Valjean has a, another come to Jesus moment. He goes, do I save this man from going to prison for the rest of his life? Or do I not say anything and like help all the people who work in the factory that I own? And like, what's to become of them if I have to then go on the lamb again? Right. But then he decides it's easy. It's better for him to have uh, as pure a soul and to help this person who he can help. Right. So he confesses. Because the system will work and those people will, they will, someone will replace him as the mayor. Someone will replace him as the factory owner. I yes. think that's his part of it. Yeah. That's kind he, of how I always justify oh, it. Yeah. As a, as a businessman, he is replaceable. Um, <laughs> as a, as a prisoner, not so much. Exactly. Um, so, so he, he goes to the trial of the fake Valjean mm-hmm. and he screams, who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. And then this is where I, I don't understand. He finishes the song. Two, four, six, oh, boom. Exactly. Yeah. The high B flat at 7.45. The show started at 7.30. Anyway. <laughs> so he he confesses and then he says, I'll be at the hospital. They just let him go. And I don't under uh, That part just always made me go, why didn't they just let him walk away with Javert right there? I think he, everyone is a little too in shock. I think that's what they tried. They went gay gasp. Yeah, I think they. I, the implication is that it was a gay gasp and everyone, and in the kerfuffle. Yes. He runs off. The 
yeah, I don't remember how they, exactly how they do it in the novel. Again, everything in the seen... novel takes place over much more t- uh, yes, longer periods of time. That, the Fontaine section takes a lot more time. Have yes. you seen the Les Mis, the 1998 film with Liam Neeson as Valjean and Jeffrey Rush as Javert? And Uma Thurman as, as Fontaine, Fontaine and I, Claire Danes as Adult Cosette. Yes, I love that version because they really expand upon because uh, expand upon that early relationship between mm-hmm. Javert and Valjean because the whole time Javert is very suspicious of the mayor because mm-hmm. uh, he thinks, I think he is... Yeah, Valjean, and he has this whole he he requests investigation. So when that trial happens, Javert has this whole moment where he's screaming, "I, I knew know. it!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I love that moment. Well, so we'll get into the. Let's get into it now. I don't fucking care. I'm tired of saying we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So I mean, we keep get trying to get to it, but when are we going to get to it, man? When are uh. we going to get to it? I don't know. Um, you want to talk about Mr. Fenton not being able to write the right vowel sounds more? Right here, right now, <laughs> Mr. Fenton. Fuck him. Uh, he made his money from the show. It's fine. He did. But, um, so what do you want to talk about? What I want to talk about for a second is literally adapting this novel, this giant-ass motherfucker of a novel. Hello. Which, some of it, you sure you can make some snippy snip snips. Like, there's literally a 30-page section. Not 30 pages, but a giant section where Victor Hugo goes on about the history of the sewer system of Paris. And ends up being yes. important because the sewers play a part of the story, but you don't yes. need to know the entire history no, of it. No, I don't need a song about the history of the sewers. No, it's very Dickens in the sense of, like, opening of Tale of Two Cities, there's, like, five pages about a mouse. Like, that kind of shit. The sweet little mouse. Yes. But there's a lot of intricacies of human nature in there, which yes. are really important. As I've been rewatching, as I've been, sorry, rewatching, as I've been watching the uh, Disney remakes, drunk mostly, and I'm realizing uh-huh. why they all suck so hard is because Disney animated films at their best, because they're not all great, but the ones that are great work so well because they're not about necessarily um, reality. The, reality, well, Reality as we know it, and like the microcosms of society, let's say, but more about the nuances of humanity. Mm. It's about emotions and personal relationships, and part of that is romance. And they and they deal with that with the intricacies of that really well. Lame is the novel is a lot of, like that, and so when you're trying to adapt it, especially something like a two hour movie or even a three hour musical, you kind of have to to decide. What am I going to focus on? So, like, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 mm-hmm. is based off of a 70-page chapter of War and Peace, which is a huge-ass novel, because Dave Malloy was like, I'd rather focus on the intricacies of everything, of, this, of the social structure, of all these characters, of what's going on. Uh, I think that'll make audiences really engage with it. Because the, that's what people respond yes, to. The 98 film of Les Mis is mostly just about Valjean and Javert. Exactly. They do. Tenardier is reduced to a one-scene mm-hmm. cameo. Eponine has no lines in the movie, and she doesn't show up again uh, in the at second all. half. Yeah, yeah Mar- it's mostly about Marius and Cosette. and Cosette. And even then, it's more about their relationship to Valjean's story. Right. They're, they do not get as much screen time as you would think, especially with Claire Danes being on the poster. But... <laughs> Uh, is that they that movie they decide to focus on that relationship. Yes. The musical has had decided to cover as much ground as possible and in doing so there's a lot of intricacies that they cut out in favor of epic emotions. So with Les Mis the stage show it's more about the overall effect. Yes. I always call it this really elaborate very delicate tapestry that if you come at it with a fine tooth comb it does fall apart you have to take it in as a whole piece mm-hmm. um because it's not like a sondheim score where you like go at it with with a microscope and you're like oh yes see the intricate work right here like it's all so uh, ironclad it's like no it's not ironclad because they're too busy trying to make the whole world work for you they can't go into like 
the nooks and crannies of it all. Um, but yes, in the 98 film version, they do a much better job of explaining why Javert hasn't quote unquote recognized Valjean yet and why he like doesn't just arrest him right then and there in the mm. trial. Um, Here in the musical, they'd simply just have to have a musical motif. Mm-hmm. You know, you make me think of a man. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now we're setting that we're setting the, 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 the mousetrap is being set. And mm-hmm. now we're going off with the rest of the musical. Yes. Well, and I, this one we actually will hold off and get it to, but the idea of motifs and how they're used in Les Mis is very important and does yes. a lot of the work that text sometimes can't. Well, I, oh, and we can talk about this too in the sense that like rewatching some of the uh, you know videos you sent mm-hmm. me, you realize very quick like, oh, there is the on my own, uh, on my own motif, musical mm-hmm. motif as he's right out of jail. Uh-huh. Oh, and there it is again in Come to Me, mm-hmm. which is... It, it's, oh, it's, it all works... And then at the end, it's part of that emotional buildup. Why are we so emotional? Because these motifs are being just, they're just sneaking into our, our, the little Mm -hmm. earworm sneaking into our head and our heart. And Mm -hmm. that's why we get overcome with emotion because music at the heart of it is emotion. And if you, and when placed properly, Mm -hmm. it will just destroy you. There is one motif that is repeated in Les Mis, and I still am not entirely sure why that's the motif they chose. The on my own motif? No. I, no, which one is it? Uh, it's the lovely lady's motif being repurposed for turning in Act 2. Oh, yeah, that is a weird I'm not one. entirely sure why they use it there. The on my own motif, I actually think is brilliantly used when it's used. And yes. I and we'll get into that in a bit later, as we discuss all the different motifs and when they're used. Um, but again, because there's so much ground to cover and because there's so much text that they simply can't include in order to make us sort of connect the dots on our own. Right. They use it. they use those motifs really, really well. Should we continue with the plot? Yes. So Valjean confesses because he, he's got a tattoo across his chest. His, yes, his brand number across his chest. 24601, yes. which is how uh, Javert has always referred to Valjean to his face as a way of demeaning him. You're not um, a human. You are a prisoner. Yes, you're, you're a number. Yes. And Valjean goes to see Fantine before she dies, knowing that she's not going to be able to see her child, Cosette, uh, who she thinks swears. who she thinks is dying because right. the Tenardes have told her your daughter is ill. We need money. We need more money right now. Yes. So that is why she is working herself ragged. Mm-hmm. Uh, she dies. Valjean uh, promises to take care of Cosette. Yes. And then Javert interrupts the death party and contrary to what our five-year-old selves thought they don't become friends at the end of that confrontation nope they just valjean swears to fontaine i will take care of your daughter i will be there and javert swears i'm gonna follow you for the rest of your fucking life dude you are i'm your shadow now i I was gonna (laughs) use the word shadow too oh my god judy garland my my shadow the cut duet between valjean and javert Uh Uh uh-huh but they couldn't afford the rights so it's not a juke box musical anymore no they were like no we've got way bigger fish to fry uh we then valjean fells javert Mm -hmm. and runs off and uh meets the tenardiers yep who demand a hefty price yes and we learn that cosette is not ill the tenardiers have been she's i mean she's she's underfed she's underfed yeah underfed overworked she's being super ill-treated she's like five or six and being used as a servant yep um and heavily abused their daughter the tenardier's daughter eponine is being spoiled with Mm -hmm. beautiful dresses and we learn that the tenardier's all they want is more money yep they're really bad at spending it which we'll find out about more later and yes so valjean comes to meet the tenardier's and uh demands to uh take cosette away from them he will pay them for cosette has informed them that fontaine has died they swindle 1500 francs out of uh valjean it's a 
really good scene and actually has some really dark tones oh, to it. Yeah, the, I love the the Tenardier Waltz of Treachery. It's mm-hmm. a good one. I love that the final, like the breaking point for Valjean where he's like, we're done now, is they keep, because first they go into, by swindling him, they're like, well, all these, first Tenardier's like, ah, well, we just love her so much we couldn't part with her. And then Valjean gives them money and then Madame Tenardier's like, well, she actually cost us a lot of money too. And he's like, okay, here's more money. And then they go, by the way, we're not entirely sure you're not a pedophile. And then he's like, fuck you. I'm going to triple how much I was going to give you and just shut you the fuck up. Yeah. And takes Cosette away. It's great. It's a great number. And, and they there's a joke that they, some brilliant actor added at one point during the run and now everyone does it. Oh, the, the Co- Cosette, Colette, mm-hmm. Cosette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you listen to the audio of it in London, you listen to the, both cast recordings, even if you watch Bootlegs from the early 90s, it's, still it's not there. darling Cosette. Cosette. And then some, I think it might have been Nick Wyman who was like the longest running who Tenardier. I've seen him like three times. Yes. He, I think it's him. I don't want to totally credit him for it, but I think it's him. Uh, I think he's the longest running Tenardier. He is the longest running Tenardier, but I don't know if he's the one who invented the joke, but I think he did. Yeah. So just for shits and giggles, let's say he did it. Yeah. When he begins his verse and he goes, you know, um, shall you t- uh, carry our treasure away? Um, our darling. Colette. Cosette. Cosette. And it's so quick and it's so well done. And then, of course, in the movie version, they hammer that joke into the ground and have him go like, bye, Courgette. I'm like, that's fucking cucumber, you douche. Like, no. And it's they just keep going on with it. Um, it's a great joke. So the, uh, Valjean takes uh, Cosette away. A lot of shit happens in the novel that they cut for the show. There's a sequence, actually, that they had originally that they cut for time, where we see Valjean take Cosette to Paris and why they live where they live. And Javert knowing that Valjean is still out there and that he's somewhere around oh, Paris. Oh, and that's what the, one of the great things in the 98 film version is, like, Javert is still in hot pursuit and mm-hmm. follows him to Paris. And no, he is in Paris somewhere. He knows he's there somewhere. Um, and th- that whole sequence where they go into the nunnery, to the convent, yes. that was originally in the show. It was, like, a 15-minute 15 15 minute sequence that they cut. And that's I think it's in the movie now. But, yes, basically, essentially, uh, Valjean uses his strength to climb Cosette up the wall of a convent, like this giant walled convent yep. that it looks like no one can get into. And uh, basically, he and Cosette live in this convent for quite a number of years. That's right. And then eventually, as she gets older... It's time for her to go. It's time. They, she, she needs yes. to be she needs out, to be in, out the in the world. So they he buys a house on Rue Plumet and they do go out into the world and they do charitable work but it's not it's still not the free he's life still, like. he's been he becomes a recluse he becomes a recluse and he becomes very sheltered of her yes um, very witch and Rapunzel and into the woods yes it's a little more gray area in the novel because he does care for her and it's a and every time he brings her out to like Luxembourg Gardens it's always a risk and he's doing it because he loves her right. but because he can't totally be off of his guard he can't truly let her have like the life that she wants right um which makes her a little more ungrateful in the novel like cosette loves valjean but she's also you know like she's she goes she's 16 she becomes a teenager yeah teenagers want to you know spread their wings exactly things for themselves while the musical does underwrite the character they also do make her a lot more like nice she's 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 much more caring of him you could say cosette in the musical is sort of a thankless role but it really depends on the actress i think uh Mm. judy kuhn especially mike you know listening to the recording she sounds great but watching the watching the 10th anniversary concert like you get to see a little more of her her yearning what there's a melancholy about judy kuhn's face um that really kind of hits home with Cosette where it's like, cause it's even the lyrics, like how pensive, how sad you seem to me, um, where she is this beautiful young woman and there's so much love and life about her, but there's also a sadness. And in the novel, she, you know, talks about how 
she puts on this very lively front, but alone she is very sad and very and like on the verge of depression. Yeah. And Valjean can see that, which is why he allows them to go out to like walk in Luxembourg Gardens. That being said, we've uh, yes. gone like 14, 15 years yes. ahead. 10 to 15 years in the future. Yeah. Uh, the musical and the musical cuts all of this and basically just yeah, goes we, from them leaving the Thenardiers, jumping right, right to the middle of Paris, yes. and it, we meet the students. Yes, It's actually a great transition in the original production because they have the Waltz of Treachery music still playing as he dresses Cosette in the outfit that we will come to know her in as an adult, mm-hmm. and he gives her the doll, and he tells her there's a castle waiting for her. I love that moment. And then she gives him a hug, and he officially becomes her papa. And then the scrim comes up, and we see... The like, beginnings of the barricade. Yes. It's not oh, the barricade But it's yet. Paris, yes. Like, we see the beggars of Paris, the people of Paris, and Valjean grabs Cosette and runs through the set, and we realize they are now in Paris, and then the sign says 10 years later, and we're like, okay... So that's ten, this is where they're living. Ten years later. <laughs> Thank you, SpongeBob. Ten years later. Um, and there is an uprising in Paris because the people of Paris are hungry. There is no government that really cares for them. Only one general named Lamarck uh, cares for the uh, under for the, poor. for the poor. And they are not doing great. Nobody's doing great. No Paris. one's doing great. And we've learned that the Thenardiers are now... They're bank- in Paris. They're in Paris, bankrupt. They've lost their end. They spent all of Valjean's money. It's... No, how many ever years later? Eponine is um, Eponine is as poor as they are, and, and she's yeah. dirty, and she's in love with Marius. Yes, Marius, a rich student who, with his rich student friends, are trying to do good by the poor. Uh, they are very politically aware and very politically active, and they're aware that uh, Lamarck is ill, and when he dies, they will they want to lead a revolution on behalf of the underprivileged. Yes. Very noble of them. Very noble of them. Very noble of them. And yes, Eponine is in love with Marius. Uh, Marius uh, bumps into an adult Cosette while she and Valjean are doing some charitable work. And Eponine's... It's immediate love. Immediate, a, like, love at first sight. Uh, but the And it works in the musical. because they Because they play a motif that's really great. In the novel, Cosette basically falls in love with Marius on sight because she's like, he's hot. And <laughs> she's Don't like... All... And she's like on the verge of becoming beautiful. So he first sees her and he's like... I don't like he doesn't think about her much and then like within six months she becomes super gorgeous mm. and he sees her again and he's like oh but, whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have these feelings in my pants <laughs> uh, uh, it's a little bit funny this feeling inside okay Duke let's Thank keep you. let's not divulge into the Moulin Rouge no I will bring up that movie in a bit when we talk about the movie version of this show yes. but um that's to say, they meet, lock eyes, they fall in love. The uh, Thenardiers recognize Valjean. As they're trying to grift him, too. Right. Uh, they recognize him. Uh, Javert shows up, because he's now, of course... The inspector yes. of Paris! Pops up like herpes, this man. You just can't get rid of him. Can't get rid of him. Uh, Valjean and Cosette run off. Thenardier informs Javert of who Valjean is. And then Javert sings Stars. stars which he swears he will find Valjean by the stars. Because he finds comfort in them, because I guess he like finds order in them. There's like a no- yeah. an innocence and a nobility about there's them. A, there's a consistency to them. Like, yeah. this is how they move. They were always in the same place. And like, there's much like how the law in his eyes is. Yes. Like, there's right and wrong as in the eyes of the law. That is what morality is. Which, remember that. Then the students get together. They find out Lamarck dies. So they begin the revolution. Mm-hmm. Marius... Uh, 
convinces Eponine to find Cosette's address for him. She does. They have a lover's duet. Lo- oh, yes. I love a love triangle trio. Mm-hmm. Heart full of love. The Tenardier show up. Uh, Tenardier and his gang show up to rob Valjean because he wants more money because he thinks that he got underpaid for Cosette. Yes. And let me tell you something about uh, the... the what, what, what's the what's the song called? It's the, called The Robbery, or The Attack on Rue Plumet. The, the Attack on Rue Plumet. I learned so many SAT words. Like, palava. Mm-hmm. Ha, I didn't know what that was, and it was... I remember when I took the SATs, I was like, oh, I know what this word is. It's so fucking funny to me. Thank you, musical theater. What's the word? I can't tell you now. I'm 37 <laughs> years old. I don't remember what the fuck a palava I, is. Isn't it just like a... You I know, think it's... it's it's like, it really is. It's like, what, what a treat. What a, how yeah. exciting. This is a joy. This is a, a celebration. Well, so the musical does use both uh, some English uh, colloquialisms right. and some French ones as well. What which a I, palava. What uh, an absolute yeah. treat. And then, see a cat in its mouth. Uh, have a, pick a bone in the street. I also love... Not a sound out of you! Well, I told you I'd do it. There's also um, <laughs> Sack the Girl Today. The things that we don't use in America. I got sacked. I got sacked. By who? <laughs> but, but, I, but I like that because it kind of gives the lyrics this sort of universal quality about it. Because yes. there are things we do recognize as Americans, things that are inherently British, and then things that are inherently French. So it makes it feel universal. Yes. And I like it a great deal. Eponine uh, saves the, the day. Robert. She screams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and vocal the, health. The vocal health, somebody. And Valjean thinks that the people at the gate she were... Th- he thinks it's Javert. Yes. Well, because Cosette covers for them. She's... Uh, right. She, which, it's one of my favorite parts about Cosette, that she she covers the robbery, covers Cosette's scream, and she was like, oh, I saw some men about, and uh, it was very scary. And this is where... I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is where they use motif really well, because the motif they use... Is it the, must be Javert? It's before that. No. So when he says, she uh, she does the, that was my cry, you heard, papa, and then she goes, three men I saw beyond the wall, Ah, which is the melody of Castle Castle on a Cloud. Cloud. So it's her using her childhood melody to make him believe her, think of me as your innocent child, so you know that I'm telling the truth. It's really fucking smart. That is smart. It's really smart. Matt, you taught me something today. Get ready, bitch, I'm gonna teach you some more. Oh, God. Daddy... So Valjean thinks it's Javert, and he decides that they have to move. They gotta leave Paris, and they break into One Day More, one of the greatest sex finales ever. Here's the thing about One Day More, though: if they were really concerned about making the movie the best movie it could be, they would have cut One Day More. And here's why. No, here's why. Here's why. Fighting words. No, it's great. It's one of my favorite songs in the show. It's brilliant, and when you see it in the theater, nothing compares. Yeah, I agree. Nothing actually happens, though. No, it's, it's it's the characters is reestablishing where they're at at that moment. Yes. Um, the only thing that happens is Marius decides he's not going to follow Cosette. He's going to stay and fight in the revolution. That's all. Um, that's the one plot point that happens. Otherwise, it's four minutes of everyone just stating where they're at, which is very operatic because it is an opera. Um, it mm. uses well, no, it uses opera. Um, uh, Elements of opera. It uses yeah, it uses like opera vocabulary really to kind of tell yeah. the story because it's also a melodrama. Uh, what? What? But so that's what I mean. Is like in the the reason why one day more sucks donkey balls in the movie we is because nothing happens. Th- th- it does help further the plot because we do learn that Javert is going to disguise himself as a student. Except we we like see that. that happen in the beginning of Act Two, and it's not really. It doesn't make a lot of sense in one day more that that's what he's going to do. It just he just basically says like, we're going to fuck with these schoolboys. He yeah. doesn't he, like he doesn't come out and he's like. I'm gonna put on the skies and make them think that I'm one of them. No, 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 that's what I'm gonna do. He's basically just like, he's like, we're gonna oh. teach. He's like, we're gonna teach these little uh, pretty boys what's up. We're gonna bend them over and top them good. My place is here. I find 
begins, and Valjean has not left just yet. They're leaving the next day. Marius asks Eponine to send Cosette a note uh, while they build the barricade in this tiny street. It's uh, the Rue de Valette. Yes. Um, and then she sings on my own. Yes, she dresses up as a boy, delivers the note to Cosette, but Valjean interce- intercepts it and reads it, learns that Cosette is in love with the boy. Everything. Yes, learns everything. Eponine sings on my own. And uh, every girl with a chest voice since then has sung it in alone in their bedroom at least three times. Or and those who don't have a chest voice have sung it alone in their bedroom at least three times. I mean, I may be singing it every single day of my life. <laughs> well, we're girls with chest voices. I sing oh. it all the time. I do too. I love it very much. It's, it's one of my favorite numbers to sing. I mash it up. Not to toot my own horn. I do mash it up with Robin's dancing on my own. Oh, cute. It's, it's, it, it, but it works well. Yeah. It works well. Come see my show. I'm very desperate. <laughs> She's very successful. The barricades are uh, constructed. So, okay, so uh, Eponine sings on my own, and she decides to go back to the barricades to be with Marius because she loves him. Very much so. The barricades reveal themselves. The barricades <laughs> reveal smoke. themselves. There's smoke, the the set changes into the barricades, and the applause this goes flames, insane. Flames on the side of my face. So the, and the audience applauds the set change. Yes. Oh, uh, thank you, Musical of Musicals. Yes. Anyway, anyway. so the barricades. We're at the barricades, the barricade. and there's the first attack. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. No, does Valjean, Valjean shows up. Well, no, Javert shows up, and he says, I, I, I know what their plan is. Yep, and he's like, here's the plan, and Gavroche exposes him, don't believe him, he's part of the system. And then he sings Little People, and it makes me, I love the song Little People. Yes. And they cut it. Well, he gets like a, a verse yeah. of it. It used to be like a full-blown, like, two and a half minute song. Mm-hmm. And then when they put it to Broadway, they made it about a minute long song, like minute and a half. Yeah. And then they cut it even di- further down to one verse in a chorus and it's i get it the show is long cameron mcintosh wants to save on overtime but come, come on. on give yeah. the kid especially because it's the song he uses when he spoil alert well, dies but he's yeah exactly he is also for a bit of the show he is our narrator yes know? we it's the only time we ever have a narrator in the show uh is gavroche basically comes out and explains to the audience after the 10-year time jump exactly here's what's up after an hour and a half without a narrator all mm. of a sudden we get how did you do my, my name's gavroche yep um, it, I like it. it. Oh, I love it's it. It's inconsistent storytelling, but yeah. again, it's one of those things where like, it but just you works. you buy it. It yeah. works because there's a, a lot has changed. We need to be caught up and uh-huh. I'm the one who's going to catch you up. Well, so, okay. Lindsay Ellis, who's a YouTube video essayist, said this on a podcast about musicals that like any nitpicking people do with any movie or show or whatever is just basically them saying they were not taken in by the storytelling overall. Because if you're taken in by the storytelling overall... You can maybe recognize some flaws, but they don't matter so much to you because the overall impact is so great. Yeah. Same thing with Les Mis. Like, if it doesn't work for you, you're going to notice all these inconsistencies and these flaws. But Les Mis works for me. So, right. like, I'm just along well, for the it's, ride. It's, you don't, do you know what it is? It's like, we are going to overwhelm them mm-hmm. so much that if they do find a chink in the wall, they're not going to care because they're going to be so overwhelmed. Because, first of all, it just keeps moving. It does keep moving. And keep... that's good. Yeah. It's good because it just, it's long it, and it goes fast. It needs to keep moving. It, it, it's otherwise... why I was on a fucking turntable. Oh, that turntable. Anyway, so, so uh, Javert uh, gets out, ousted by Gavroche and he's taken prisoner. Valjean shows up. Eponine shows up. Oh, my God. I know, I know so many things. <laughs> Eponine shows up. She gets shot. She dies in Marius' arms. Yes. Um, and that's when it sort of, sort of all hits the students. We're like, oh, shit. Oh, 
we're going to die. People this could real. die. Yeah. They're always like, she's the first one to fall. She's the first innocent, so to speak. And then Valjean shows up and he helps the students with the first attack. He does very well by them. And uh, even and say, thanks, they, the students give Valjean Javert as a prisoner. Yes. They believe he's going to kill Javert. He ends up setting Javert free. And they I have, love that And scene. they have an altercation. Javert's like, you want a deal? I'm not playing a part of this. And Valjean says, no, this is no deal. I'm going to finish. I have some... <laughs> deal or no deal, pick the suitcase. He basically says, like, I have some loose ends I need to tie up. But, like, when this all is over, when all this has gone down, here's my address. You can find me there. And we'll... And I will turn myself in. Um, Javier goes off. The uh, students sing a drinking song, Drink With Me, which is so lovely and depressing. Um, oh, I like it. It's really yeah. I mean... It, it, yes, it's something you might skip if you're listening to the album and you want to get to like it's the hardcore. It's a skip for me, love. But when you watch the show, I think it plays really nicely. Yes, of course. It's a nice moment to have because the whole time Michael McGuire is like, ah, the blood of yeah. you know, so it's nice to have that. The students in general at that point, have, up until then, have been like, we're men and we're farting. And now they're like, we're men and we might die. <laughs> Did you just say we're men and we're farting? Fighting. Okay. It was my mic. It was um my uh Malcolm McDowell. Oh, not Malcolm McDowell. Ma- Michael McGuire. No, that's Andros. Who's that pop singer who's like, Hers are better. <laughs> I'm never going to give you up. Yeah, him. Who's I'm never going to say. Who cares? I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. Red Roll? I don't know. I don't know. But they're like, they're like, we're man and we're fat in the system. And then they're like, we're man. Share now? Yes. Now my Madonna. We're men and we're going to die. That's and my preferred. And I'll do this. Amanda Seyfried. Women. I, 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 yeah. Um, so anyway, Valjean sings a little prayer over Mary's his body. It's very beautiful. It's very. We're beautiful. also like we are we are blasting through all these songs. So we're going to talk about these songs a bit because more. we've been talking for over an hour yeah. already. We and, don't need- and we're still not done with the plot. Um, <laughs> uh, we have one more attack. All the women and children go except for Gavroche, who sticks around. They need oh my more, god, that they scene need- where they need more bullets, and Gavroche goes over the barricades mm-hmm. to and get more bullets. Uh, it's de- like. I'll never forget the silence. You could hear a pin drop in that mm-hmm. theater because all these people who had I've never seen a bunch of theater, they're, they're nervous for this little mm-hmm. boy. And there's the the sound of the gunshots and the little like pellets of smoke mm-hmm. coming from the, it. Like it makes it very real. It's very real. Especially, and this is where like staging really comes into part. So again, the original production of Les Mis was on a turntable, and we don't yes. see the other side of the barricade until this moment when Gavroche goes over to and get more bullets. The bodies. We see dead bodies, and it's this tiny little boy in this giant structure alone and nervous, and he's looking around, he's trying to grab Guns the are bullets. shooting Guns at him. Guns are shooting at him, and he gets shot once, gets shot twice, he tries to throw the bullets over the barricade. Every time I've seen it, he never does. And oh, really? To the point that I don't know if he's supposed to. Oh, no, I think he's supposed to because okay. he, he's always made it over when I've seen it. The three times, well, I don't remember the first time. The last two times I saw it in the original Broadway production, he did not. And then two of the uh, bootlegs of that production that I have seen, he did not. I see. Oh, so I see. It, wor- it can work either way. It I think it's way. even like more like heart-wrenching that after he gets shot and dies, he doesn't even deliver the bullets. He can't. Because right. right. um, he's so but small. just the Yes, yeah, I'll gasp. never forget the gas. And then the, the turntable turns back, and we come back to the students, and they are gutted. Yeah, they are. They are. They are stone cold. It's crazy, and it kind of the death of Gavroche really just kind of lights that final fuel, and mm-hmm. like they get so enraged, and they get reckless. Yeah, they they start fighting recklessly, and they're already students who, as we learn later in turning, like they've never held a gun before. They don't know actually how to fight. They don't even really have much of a strategy. They think they do. They're kind of playing 
battle in their backyard. Like, yeah. They think they're better at this than they are. And once Gavroche dies, they get even more reckless. Yeah. And just about everyone dies. Um, beautiful final image of Angerah going to the top of the barricade with a giant red flag, waving it, gets then, shot, falls over. And, oh, yes, and the music in that moment, that's it's very... It's the, it's a dread the blood of angry men. Yeah. Yep. Do you ever see, like, sometimes in the productions of Les Mis, I see, like, Angerah gets, like, becomes, like, a gymnast when he gets shot. He'll, like, he does, like, a li- he falls over this pole and does, like, yeah. a somersault over the pole, and it's like, come on, dude, just die. Just die. Just die already. <laughs> well, it's because in that staging, so all, all the fighting ends and we hear Red, the Blood of Angry Men. Mm-hmm. And then we go into the music of Bring Him Home Again. Valjean whole- gets up, gets married, brings him into the sewer system. Yes. Oh, um, and that's what I love about that scene. So as Valjean gets Marius, brings him into the sewer and the, the turntable spins. And like you see one side and there's dead bodies and then it spins again. Then all the bodies are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and but, the, oh, but then Javert climbs over the barricade, yeah. is looking at all the dead bodies, mm-hmm. sees the sewer and continues his pursuit. Yep. And in that turntable moment, you do see Andros on the other side, his dead body hanging over on oh, his yes. back. Um, gorgeous music playing, so it's all just so devastating. And it's a very beautiful image, and I think a lot of Angerazes take that image to heart and go, oh, so then my death must be very impressive and poetic as well. It's like, no, die like a person, and then have your body be a painting. Mm. Mm. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so Javert realizes that Valjean has taken Marius into the sewers, and he is going to pursue him. We then see why so many bodies are missing on the barricades, because Thenardier is is robbing them all. Literally pulling the gold out of Uh their teeth so he can sell it. Yes, and... This is something that he has done before, because in the novel, there's a Tenardi has a bigger connection with Marius in the novel, in the sense that his grandfather was or his grandfather or his father was saved on the battlefields, or so he thinks by Tenardier, um oh, right, from right, right, Normandy, right. I think. But Waterloo, Waterloo, yes, the yes, sorry, Waterloo. You're absolutely right. Normandy is later. That is the next century. <laughs> Normandy. That, um... that's, no, that's the next century. No, Waterloo. Uh, he thought that Trinardi had saved his life. It actually, it was an accident because Trinardi was act- thought he was dead and was robbing his body and then ended up saving his life accidentally. Uh, and so he basically told Marius, like, take care of that man. He saved my life. And so Marius has always kind of had to look after Trinardi. But so when he's robbing bodies again, we're like... Yeah, no, this is what he do. Um, Tenardier in the sewer sees Valjean with Marius' body. He thinks Panics. That, well, he thinks that Marius is dead. He doesn't recognize Marius because it's dark right. in there. But he does recognize Jean Valjean, sees him carrying what he thinks is a lifeless body. So he's he clocks this. Valjean carries Marius out of the sewers, runs back into Javert. He says, give me more time. I need to send this boy home. Javert is like, no. But then... Is like, like, he's like, you know what? Fine, go take yep. him. And then Javert has a crisis of conscience because he realizes that maybe the law, which has always been his... Uh, he's been wrong his whole life. Yep. Maybe he's been wrong his whole life and he can't bear it. Have I been the villain this entire time? That's the thing. The villain doesn't realize he's the villain until mm-hmm. the last moment. And what does he do? He jumps off the bridge into a third arabesque! <laughs> And uh, ultimately taking his own life, jumping into the River Sen, 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 Sen. Yeah, I I guess, yeah, I guess you could say he does ultimately take his own life. He does take his own life. No, I know, he does. Uh, He does. Which is a weird way to say it. Ultimately, he takes his own life. Like, no, yeah, he kills himself. Yeah, he he, he kills himself, and uh, he drowns. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, like, you know, that river, the River Sen, is is a very famous site for people... um, 
uh, killing themselves. Yeah. Well, because it's pretty deep, and I think the current is pretty the strong. The current is very strong. It's very yeah. hard to... You don't swim in that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It swims in you. It does. It swims in you. No. No. It swims no, in me. <laughs> no. No. So for such, a, for such a serious musical, we're getting so much comedy out of it. <gasps> so much death. Um, so much death. You know what's funny? <laughs> so, uh... Marius and Cosette uh, are to be married. Marius yes. has some survivor's remorse, but he... he's re- reminiscing on his friends. I love that moment where he's singing um, Empty Chairs at Empty Tables and all the students, the ghosts, they, they appear mm-hmm. and then and they they're gone. Away. It's, ooh, it's a heartbreaking yeah. song. It's wonderful. In a show with many heartbreaking moments, that is very heartbreaking. Yes. Before they are to marry, Valjean confesses his true life to Marius. And says to Marius, "I, for the good of Cosette, I am going to stay away from your wedding and from your new life together. They get married. The Chinardes show up. Uh, wanting looking, to blackmail Marius. Wanting to blackmail Valjean and get money out of Marius. Yeah. Right. Because they, again, Chinardes thinks that he saw Valjean with a dead body and shows Marius a ring that he picked off the dead body as proof. And it was Marius's ring. Yes, because Marius was the body. And Marius realizes that Valjean was the one who saved his life because he never knew until that moment. Right. He realizes Valjean's the one who saved his life. He grabs Cosette, he goes, we're off to go find your dad. Tenardi's basically saying, like, we're going to still survive, no matter what. And they do. Yeah, in the novel, Madame Tenardier gets arrested and dies. uh, And Tenardier goes off with his other daughter, who's not in the show. So in the novel, Gavroche is also Eponine's brother, but kind of has his own journey. Uh, So even though he's technically a Tenardier, he doesn't really associate with them, which is why you never see them interact in the show. But they have a second daughter, a middle child, and Tenardier goes off to America with her and he becomes a slave trader, because of course he does. But also he's becoming a slave trader around the time where slave trading is not going to be a thing much longer. So I wonder... Poor Tenardier just can't get a break. Can't get a break. But anyway. So we go off, we meet a dying... Jean Valjean. Yes. Who sees the ghost of Fantine saying, you will be with God soon. Cosette shows up and she's like, you can't you die. You can't it. die. Please don't and die. Val- and Marius is like, I know that you're the one who gave- got me back from the barricade. So Cosette's even further like, oh my God, my daddy. Um, and Valjean <laughs> gives Cosette his last confession written on the page that he says, this is everything about your life that you've always asked about. Because she's... Have you heard of Les Miserables? I just wrote it. <laughs> it's, it's literally... Joe and Little Women sits by the fire after Beth's death and she's like, let me write Little Women. And do you think that is what killed Jean Valjean? He wrote a thousand page novel and died. Because all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, he goes from, like there's the revolution and then he carries Marius and saves his life and then, yeah, a little time goes by but then he's dead. But he's also old. He's not that old. He lived life and time gone by. He was like, you know, 50. I don't know. Daddy. Um, (laughs) Gilf Gilf, anybody? Um, so, yes. So, he, he basically, because earlier in the show, Cosette um, has no memory of her childhood. Right. Um, which is which all, is good. And it's true in the novel as well. In the novel, she doesn't really have any questions. She doesn't care so much. She was like, I don't remember much about my childhood. It's fine. Whatever. She forgets about the Tenardiers. In the show, she wants to remember. And she asks Valjean, like, what, I don't remember anything. Like, tell me. And he won't say. So, he finally, at the end of the show, writes to her all the questions, answers to all the questions that she's had gives it to her and he says read it once i'm sleeping essentially dying uh fantine and eponine 
bring him into the afterlife. Cosette and Mary start to read the letter. And then we hear, Do you hear the people sing? Zostov the valley oh, sorry, of the night. Oh, I, well, I was just listening to it. So I know the lyrics now. But I know the lyrics for a lot of it. Anyway. Uh, but the, like that ending too. Yes, it's the, go- just, yes oh. the ghosts of the revolution come back and they sing one final reprise of Do You Hear the People Sing? Which is their rallying cry to the people of France and their rallying cry to the audience. And they sing Tomorrow Comes and then the show ends everyone cries they jump to their off their seats and they just and then then the audience cries and and the little girls can go home in their prom dresses and all of your mothers went straight to the box office and they said i must come again tomorrow and tomorrow comes tomorrow came and so did the mothers (laughs) oh (laughs) and he kept waiting for tomorrow to come and lame is like hold my beer it's coming i got something to say (laughs) yeah i love you tomorrow lame is like tomorrow's here bitch shut the fuck up the sun will come out you don't know no, nobody show, nobody show, okay. okay okay and moving on moving on so it's a great show i love it very it's much it's a great show but why does the ghost of eponine come in at the end to take jean vale jean up to the heavens some people have asked that question the movie decided to replace eponine with the ghost of the bishop Ew. which is that but here's the thing it's one of the things it makes like, sense yes you replace emotion for sense and it's not as important it's not as interesting to me. It just works better with Eponine. It does especially work better. because because they, they harmonize so beautifully. They harmonize beautifully, and then also it's a gorgeous image when Valjean is taken to heaven. Um, and as the show has progressed, the way that Valjean's die get more comical in my eyes. Like Colm Wilkinson, there's a video of that final scene from the original production on Aurora Spider Woman's YouTube channel, and it's a very like all it is is just Fontaine takes the blanket off of him and he stands up and he's dead. Yeah. And because you, you just Judy Kuhn's face shows you that she has seen her father die. Later on, Valjean's make it like a thing. They like jolt and they slump, oh, and then Fontaine lifts them up, and I'm like. It's a poem. It's not a documentary. Right. Um, but anyway, <laughs> when Valjean stands up, Fantine's on one side of him, Eponine's on the other side of him, and they kind of mirror Marius and Cosette. So, like, Fantine is the connection to Cosette, Eponine's the connection to Marius. Oh, that does make sense. Especially as the final line they sing together before the chorus comes in is, to love another person is to see the face of God. I just got, like, really emotional from that line alone. God damn it, man. It's a brilliant line. It's a good line! <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense that they're there on that stage with that mirroring with that line because Eponine's love for Marius, Fantine's love for Cosette. You just, you just made it work for me. Thank you. I've made so much work for you so far. I mean, I'm Get. not tearing up at a podcast at all. so much interpretation in this world and I want to see new versions of Les Mis for sure. Yeah. I will say right here, right now, I think the original st- design and staging of Les Miserables is the best that show's ever going to be. And I agree. I, and part of that is because as it was being um, adapted for English audiences, it was being adapted with the staging and design in mind and a lot of things were kind of coming together. Do you know what I love about the original staging of it is that, yes, it is such a big epic musical. There mm-hmm. are big sets but immediately when you are introduced to the prisoners they're miming their mm-hmm. there's a there's simplicity in the theatricality oh yeah so even though you're seeing a grandiose musical it is still based in just 
we are using our imagination. We are creating simple theater right now. We're telling yeah. a very complicated story, but we're simplifying it as much as we can for you. Well, and here's the other thing. So our five-year-old brains... All you need is that little bit of an image to give you the idea of what the scene is because our five-year-old brains filled in the blanks on our own. Like, I remember RuPaul May, the gates covering the entire stage. It's just the one gate. Yeah. So, because when I saw it again at, like, 12, I was like, oh, they really scaled back on the set. So, one gate and a lot of good lighting. A lot of dark lighting. Oh, yeah. And some nice ivy. Um, But <laughs> but, but that, that production, yes, it was epic. But a lot of the set, again, it was a couple of things would come on just tell you where it was like no set piece came on for the prologue except for like the bishop's table yeah um so there was no giant like that turntable was turning and it's just people on stage and it was giving you i'll never forget that scene right at the beginning he leaves the prison and then he's like he's going in the field yeah and then there's dark but in the dark upstage Mm -hmm. the actors are getting prepared it starts spinning Mm -hmm. and you're seeing gardeners and people hoeing Mm -hmm. um and feeding chickens and it's all mime again but it's it's very they've created a cinematic uh, a cinematic way to tell a show on mm-hmm. stage and that's yep. i think why it's the original production has you know stood the test of time absolutely the other thing with me and les mis is that les mis are up again it's a three-hour melodramatic popra it has to keep moving and it has to maintain a certain fervor yeah. in order for it to work and I don't think there's a place for reality in it. There's a place for real emotions. Yes. Real connections. But the moment you add ad-libbing, um, the moment you add sort of like sloppy, rough movement, because that's how these people really would be at this time, it takes you out of the world. Right. Keep it's, it simple. It's why I really disliked the revival and why the movie for me is really um, touch and go. And the two are actually pretty synonymous because the movie got a lot of its... That idea of, you know, it's rough and it's real and it's gritty, so treat it that way. And I'm like, it's all connected by music. Yes. And singing alone is ridiculous. And singing for three hours, everything you're doing is kind of more ridiculous. So when you add real world elements into there, it just highlights the ridiculousness of what you're watching. Right. It doesn't make it more real. It. I like the, you saying you're letting the audience fill in the blanks. You're mm-hmm. asking the audience to take a part in this. Mm-hmm. It is melodramatic, but you are investing your energy by filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And the original production was very consistent about the style with which they were presenting things to you. It was always music and uh, simplicity and melodramatic emotions and everything sort of just connecting in that way one as i said one big tapestry when you start adding in new things and make and like going up and down in terms of um how you're presenting things the fervor with which you're presenting things it gives you whiplash and makes you question the um quality of moments of the show of certain songs and it's like no just keep it going keep it flowing keep it moving right i mean initially it is a very elaborate concert mm-hmm. uh, which is why i think the 10th anniversary concert is so beloved just because it, it does just come back to the music and the relationships mm-hmm. and 
I mean, that's what Les Mis is all about. You, yes, you remember the barricade, but the barricade, the barricade, it's like the the, sh the chandelier in Phantom of the Opera. It is a big element, a big punctuation mark of the show, but that's not all the show is. Absolutely. So, actually, so as we continue talking the show, let me just, let's discuss for a quick second. When yes. Les Mis opened, it actually got better reviews on Broadway than it did in London. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that much different of a show. Ten minutes tighter and in my life instead of I saw him once. But, like, not such an overhaul that would make you go, like, totally new show. It's just the hype was enough that Broadway was ready for it. We were ready for it. And audiences were... Um, Gaga. Yeah, absolutely. And, and critics at that time, because Cats had happened, and Cats was not maligned by American critics, but it basically was sort of like, I mean, it's... It's Cats. They're like, it's fine. It's entertaining enough. It's kind of fluff. And then became this juggernaut. And they're like, oh, we might be becoming irrelevant. So it doesn't matter if we don't like the show. Right. But Frank Rich in the New York Times loved it. He was the one critic who was like, no, this is a masterpiece. He's like... And he even said like, yes, there are things about it that have like rough patches and like i don't love all the cast he didn't like um uh, randy graf's fontaine which i oh. i get because if mm. you listen to her on the cast recording she's belting her death and i don't love it and i'll see her when i wake yeah. I, don't, I don't love it if daphne if daphne rune vega in the revival was too far on the other end of the spectrum randy graf is too far on the other end of the spectrum well, so what's the happy medium ruthie, ruthie henshaw. henshaw ruthie henshaw <laughs> <laughs> i said what it i is. said and honestly hot take Anne hathaway uh I mean... There's a lot about that movie I don't like. Anne Hathaway is the only reason it can exist in my eyes. Everyone else, even if there are people who I like in the movie, they have spots that I don't like in their performances. Anne Hathaway is the only one from beginning to end. I'm like, she's doing all the things she needs to do. She's giving me the Les Mis I need while also giving Tom Hooper his stupid shit um, and making it all make sense. Yeah. Everyone else is a little too far in one of the and other. she cried. She cried on film. Do you know how hard that is to do? Very. Here's, a, here's an Oscar. Here's an Oscar. She, I'm sorry, she deserved that Oscar. She if did. only because she's the reason that movie made five hundred million dollars. I mean, she was probably the best part of it. And the and do, yeah, you, the do, you, remember, do you remember when the teaser came out and everyone went apeshit because it was the teaser of her singing "I Dreamed a Dream" over mm -hmm. like images from the movie because the movie hadn't even finished filming yet. They just took raw footage and put one of her takes over it and everyone's like oh my god this thing's gonna be amazing and then it came out and we we're like parts uh, of it are amazing yeah russell parts of it Crow. russell crowe russell crowe why I even why? i can even understand amanda zeifried's casting i don't think she's the best cosette uh. but i understand no i understand why she was cast if they were going for a name actress because while her vibrato is too much she yes. does hit the notes I, if they do. did if they did it in a studio I think it would have been a lot smoother because she would have had more preparation we should have more takes breast support she wouldn't have to worry about her facial expressions um, and on top of that Amanda Zyfried does not look like many other actresses she's sort of like Dove Cameron at respect where it's like she's, she's so got unique. those like those very open sad doll looking eyes yes very unique looking very beautiful very do China doll so I, I just can remember them with the movie just like when we're singing live and I think that was uh, Hugh Jackman could handle that and Hathaway handled it brilliantly mm -hmm. Amanda Seyfried she sounded better in Mamma Mia which which pains me to say um, which I thought she sounded great in Mamma Mia no she doesn't it's not even that she sounds bad in Les Mis it just sounds she sounds bad in no, Les Mis I think she just sounds off like it's I can hear the singing she could do right. if she were given the proper treatment that a movie musical is supposed to have yeah. she, maybe she wouldn't sound Judy Kuhn amazing but no. she would be at least three or steps above 
it's it's that Snow White vibrato, which comes from it comes from nerves. It comes from having to do it of twenty course. takes twenty takes in a row. She's only human. I'm not begrudging her that. It just it, it they could have done better. No, That's all I'm no, saying. No, and totally agree with you. What I'm saying is I can I can understand her casting in a way that I don't understand Russell Crowe's casting. Um, and I don't even think. Hugh Jackman did a good job with the singing in the movie. He belted all of Bring Him Home, which yeah. is criminal. Yeah. Anywho. 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 10th anniversary concert. 10th it's anniversary. The so good. Best best version you're going to get. It isn't the entire score. If you want the entire score, listen to the symphonic recording. I don't recommend it because while it is every note of the show, it's not a great cast and some of the tempos are off. The 10th anniversary is just... It's, it gives you everything you need. Exactly. If there's... One thing I wanted, I wanted a little more Lovely Ladies. It's Lovely Ladies is truncated a bit too much, but mm. you get the gist of it, yeah. which is fine. And a little more of Judy Kuhn. They cut um, In My Life in Half. But again, they want to go from the end of her verse into Michael Ball's verse. Musically, it works very well. It's a good transition. I just want her interaction with Colm Wilkinson and her to belt. In my life, I'm no longer a child and I yearn for the truth that you know. We need it. We want it. We have it. Um, we got it. We got it on the Broadway cast recording. It's just not on the 10th anniversary. But whatever. It's fine. I really want to listen. Do you, oh, and then then you get Leia Salonga as, as Eponine. Eponine. It's great. It's wonderful. Ugh. The show. The show. Nominated for 12 Tony Awards. 12 Tony Awards. How many did it win? Eight. Eight. There was one show that got one more Tony nomination than Les Mis. Les Mis had 12. Another show had 13. Was it me and my girl? It was indeed. Bum, bum, bum. Except what show won Best Musical that year? Les Miserables. Exactly. Me and my girl. 13 nominations. I think it came away with three. Because uh, what's his name? One Best Actor. Robert Lindsay won Best Actor. Cole Wilkinson did not. And that happened on the West End too. Robert Lindsay won Best Actor then and beat Cole Wilkinson and um, whoever the Javert was, Alan something or other. Yeah. Um, and he beat Terry Mann and Cole Wilkinson on Broadway. Wow. Wait, was Terrence Mann nominated for? For Javert, yeah. For Best Leading Actor? For, yeah. So the, Interesting. the acting nominations for this production of Les Mis were Cole Wilkinson and Terrence Mann for lead. Michael McGuire was nominated for... Supporting, supporting actor. And he won. And he won. And Francis Raffel and Judy Kuhn were nominated for supporting actress. Mm. Randy Graff was not nominated for Fontaine. Wow. But here's the tea. The only two women to get nominated for Fontaine are also also have won it. Patty Lapone for the Olivier and Anne Hathaway for the film, for mm. the Oscar. Um Casey Levy wasn't nominated in the most recent revival. Uh um Daphne Brunvega wasn't nominated in the like pop up revival. And yeah, I think on the West End also, I think certain replacements can get nominated for an Olivier if like they get petitioned by producers. Replacements can. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Joanna Riding won an Olivier for replacing Martine McCutcheon in My Fair Lady, and there were a couple you other people. Are very gay. I'm very gay. I mean, my smile uh, that- script and my carousel. CD, which is my second copy of it, by the way, and it's not even out of the cellophane. I want to know more about your nutcracker, but anyway. Oh, I've had that for 25 years? Wow. I used to be obsessed with ballet. I loved the nutcracker. Uh, My family would take me to see any production of it that we were in the city for. So, like, if we were in Florida, we would see the one that was in, like, Palm Beach. If we were in New York, we saw the one in New York. If we were in Chicago, the one in Chicago. Depend Like, depending on where we were during that season. That's kind of sweet, man. It is. My family was good to me in a lot of ways. They did send me to sports camp for four summers, but... But that's t- another story. Never, Never mind. mind. Anyway, anyway. Um, that's not a full-blown Tenardier. That's more of a Valjean of like, I understand you need your freedom, but I can only give it to you in doses. Right. So they the sh- won they, a bunch they won, of they won, Tonys. They won eight. They won musical, score, book, uh, two acting, some designs. It ran for like, 16 and a half years. Yes. It beat a chorus line. It was second only to Cats in terms of longest running 
uh, Broadway show. It is the second longest running West End show, longest running musical for sure, but it's behind the mousetrap by like a solid 35 years in terms oh. of longest running West End yeah, show. We'll catch up. At some point. Um, <laughs> it's now, I think, the sixth longest running musical in Broadway history. Wicked has since uh, usurped it. Has it now? It has. It's Wow. It's coming up on its 20th anniversary, Wicked. Yes, it is. Wow. Uh, we got two more years to go. Wow. Uh, it's But, <laughs> but go it also high. lost a year and a half of performances. Fair. True. So, true. So it'll Why, be what happened, Matt? <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> I got a little crazy with my food, and I ate a bat one day, and then I uh, coughed so on a it's person. It's your fault. So it's my fault. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Um, a lot of Into the Woods here. I mean, are you surprised? Yeah. It is my favorite musical. I know. Well, we talked about it once. I know. Three years ago. Yeah. Anyway. How, how time flies. Lame is. The summers fly one by one. Uh, huh. Let's talk. We, we were hinting at it. Let's really get into it. The musical motifs of Les Miserables yes. and when they are used. The one that stands out to me, the one that I noticed on my, on my most recent viewing of Les Mis, mm-hmm. it's just on my own, comes back a lot. The look down mm-hmm. comes back a lot. Look down is the first thing we hear. Bum, 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 bum. And it's the look down, look down, so look them in the eye. That motif is used again in Paris with the beggars, and they even saying look down again. Yes. Look down, look down, look down. And it's, you know, the lowest people on the uh, food chain in that scene singing about their uh, their experience, station, their experience, being their alive. station. Yeah, this is this is our life. Exactly. And the prisoners, some wanting death, some of them wanting to get out. It's it's quite good. Um, and then we have one of our two Javert motifs. Now bring me prisoner two for six oh one. Your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. Yes, it means I can that. sing like this and I go yep. real low. Yeah. <laughs> and he uses it every time he and Valjean have this have every time they have an altercation a it scene. is this. Except yes. for the confrontation scene. No, it's used in is the... Is it? Well, because it begins with Javert doing the Valjean at last, which is a great sort of callback of reminding him of where he came from. Right. Talking down him to 24601. And then Valjean goes, Before you say another word, Javert, before you chain me up like a slave again, listen to me, there are some... Mind blown! Mm-hmm, there you go. But it was Valjean who said that. Well, who, be, who brings it in, and then Javert comes into it, and then they do... And then, uh... They have their altercation. Valjean sings that line again, and Javert sings Believe a new me, line. And then, and then Javert's yeah, yeah, men yeah. like you can never change. Oh, two, four, six, or one. And then they have it again at the end of the sewers. Achoo, Javert, I knew you wouldn't wait too long. The faithful servant at his post once more. This man's done no wrong, and he needs a doctor's care. It's a, it's very well done. It com- yeah, it comes back in the Valjean, mm-hmm. Javert confrontation scenes how interesting i never caught that one before and then valjean subtle one and then valjean has his uh i'm free music which the underscoring is on my own but valjean's melody line is not it's a melody line that i don't even think he uses again in the show he goes when he goes to the fields we have the look down music again um and then we have the second motif that javert uses a lot in the show which is the you'll have to go i'll pay you well for the day collect your bits and pieces there and be on your way oh yes yep um and fun fact, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I don't know if I have. 
I was in the first production of Les Mis, the high school version, at the ripe old age oh, of yes, 11. Oh, yes, you have mentioned it, and you're on the recording, yes, aren't I am. you? Have I mentioned it on the podcast, though? You have mentioned it on the oh, podcast Oh, look at me! I'm, say- I'm Matt Koplick, and I was in the first high school production cast <laughs> recording! And it's very funny, because 11-year-old me sings two solos that an 11-year-old boy should not be singing. <laughs> Men like me. I also do the car crash. It'll kill you as well. It's so. It's the car crash? No, no the uh, cart crash. Cart crash. The cart crash. Like, darling, there were no cars in the 1800s. They're equivalent of a car, you know, the feet. Um, anywho. I, one of my favorite, and this is. Go back to the motifs. Oh, uh, after the motifs. Yeah. Well, I just love all the little solos that, that keep popping up. But we'll, we'll come to that. We'll come to that later. We'll come to that. So we have the bishop's motif. The coming, sir. For you are weary. And the night is cold out there. Which is the same melody as Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. Oh, you're right. Yes. I'm not entirely sure why. There's a that can be spoken. There's a pain that goes on and on. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why they're used. That's actually not. I, that and turning, those are the two I'm not entirely sure of. Because when Valjean steals the silver and then the police come in and we have that, tell his reverence your story. Actually, third motif that Javert sings. Because a lot of tell times... Tell me quickly, what's, what's the story? story? Who saw well, what? I mean, why, that, is, where? that is like the theme, the motif of it's like, a pl- the law. They yeah, the law in. comes in. Yeah, the law is there. Um, which is why Javert sings it. Again, used really well. It's their theme song, so to speak. Oh, we know what this means. Mm-hmm. And then when the uh, bishop gives him the silver he lies to the police and says i gave this to him and he says to valjean you're going to use this to make yourself better i have bought your soul for god and then valjean has his soliloquy which now, is also yep cool. it's the exact same song as javert's suicide note for note i am reaching but die for and the stars are black and cold and i stare into the void of a world that cannot hold I'll escape now from the world from the world of Jean Valjean is nothing more there is no way to go and do you know why? why? Because both, it's when both men come to the exact same crossroad, and Valjean chooses life, and Javert chooses death. Interesting. Interesting. It's their, each when they have their crisis of conscience. Because Javert is very determined in his faith the entire show until he's not. And Valjean has his crisis of conscience very early, which allows him to be so resolute the rest of the show, because he knows what he's about and what he's for. Yeah. Um, and that's the song that they both get. Different keys, obviously. But it's literally the same song, note for note. I mean, I knew that. And they, they do sing it. To, I think it is in the same key. Maybe, it's, it's not. Okay. If it's if it's the same key, Javert is down, is down the octave. Well, he does sing a lot of it. Because, like, well, Colm Wilkins says, Take an eye for an eye. And Javert's like, like, and my flaw. No, I think it's a different key. And, and my until, thoughts, Because my the only heart. reason why I think it's the same key is because Norm Lewis took it up the key. Took it up the octave uh, when he got to that part of the song. Well, Norm Lewis likes to show off. Hey. Uh, no, I love hey. him very much. I love him very much. Them's fighting words as Norm Lewis. Don't you touch my 
dear, dear Norm Lewis, my sexy Javert Norm Lewis. I saw Norm Lewis do it in 06 in that uh, reduced revival, and he was quite good. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Listen, if, if, if I were Valjean and Norm Lewis were Javert, he could chain me up any day he wanted. Mm. Well, listen, here's the Throw thing. Throw me into your river, San Javert. Mm. Mm. I'll make you say <laughs> send all you want, baby. Um, <laughs> so... We actually have touched on something that um, is tricky with Lamez. Yeah, I've talked about this with uh, Justin Mendoza, friend of the pod. He'll be on later to talk about a different show. And actually, the whole Javier Valjean um, being the same song I talked about in the Sweeney Todd episode. So sorry for anyone who heard that. It's like Matt, you said that before. Old news. Um, wow. Like you did with me in high school edition. Uh, I'm just so- wow. Well, so uh, what? I, what? What? The takeaway should be: I need to go get a life because I only listen to your podcast. The takeaway should be: Matt, you need new cocktail party material. But Justin and I had a long talk about this because Les Mis is one of those shows where because it is weirdly about the music while also not being about the music, right. and you run the risk of over singing it. But you don't want to undersell the music at the same time. Right. And often people will go too far in one direction. They will rush through um, recitative or they'll start speak singing it. Or in big numbers, like On My Own or um, Javert Suicide, they will do a lot of inflections that don't feel in character. There's a very famous riff now with On My Own that a lot of Eponines do. And it's it's the... Um, all my life. It's supposed to be all my life. I've only been pretending. pretending. But a lot of Japanese go, all my life. I've only been pretending. Oh, yes, they do. do and too. it depends on the actress, obviously. There are some I've heard do it and I buy it. Some I hear it and I don't. It's obviously case by case. I prefer a little more sticking to the score. Not because I think that like it's holy notes and it's perfect as is, but more just sort of if I can, if I'm getting the sense that you're embellishing as a singer, again, I'm taken out of the story. If I feel like the riffs are coming out of you, like in a spiritual way as a character based kind of thing, I'm more into it. I wonder if like, it's an exercise of like, because that is kind of, that is a high belty note. Mm -hmm. And for some singers, it's easier to approach a higher note from above Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like building, building, building. And it's, it's easier to hit the note if you come down to it instead of trying to build up to it. What it does for me, though, it also shortchanges the last big money note because it is actually higher than oh, that. Oh, it's full of happiness that I've, I've never, never known. known. Because th- the ang on pretending is the same note as known, which is a C. Yeah. That's always the roof of that song, the way it's written. And when you go above it, for me in my life, <laughs> you under, for me, you kind of shortchange it just a hair. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a little less guttural to hear that last no and i wish that more productions did this because in the original what they did is they added a little bit of a verb on it so when eponine finished the note You heard that note echo into the night because yes. she's—it's like three in the morning. She's all alone in the streets of Paris, and she's and breaking she, down. Man. And the and the way it's staged, she literally just stands there in the middle of this giant black stage with like windows everywhere, and you really get the sense that she is literally all alone. She's singing her thoughts into a void, like we're there listening to it, but in this world, we're we don't exist. We're nothing. So I've always liked that effect. Um, I like that. Yeah, and again. 
I just, I find that going up into that, I guess it's, I don't know if it's, I think it's a D. Pretending. It's impressive, but it does shortchange the last note. But again, different strokes for different folks. I don't hate it. It's just a preference. It's just a very picky Mm-hmm. No, it's not like someone in I dreamed a dream is going like I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. Like I th- no, if that did happen, I would go crazy. Have you watched Carmen Cusack's I Dreamed a Dream? I have not. So Carmen Cusack was Fantine on the West End for a while. Yes. The, the famous thing with Carmen Cusack was that she was a working actress on the West End for like years before she ever came to Broadway, even though she's American. It's crazy. But she was Fantine for a while. There's a video of her Fantine with her long, beautiful blonde wig, and she is stunning. Because she's the kind of Fantine I like vocally, which is that it's all from the throat, and it's just like. It's and it, but it doesn't sound unhealthy. It's right. just it's not a pingy belt. And while I love Casey Levy, she was not the Fontaine I cared for because I don't like an in the mask Fontaine. I need a from the throat Fontaine. It makes it it, get, it sounds more guttural. Yes, it it sounds like it's coming from like a, p- a place of pain. Exactly. Even though the singing does not sound painful, the yearning sounds painful. That and we speak the same language. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. I hear you too. I understand. I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is you don't necessarily want these songs to be sung very prettily. They don't have to be sung like a beauty. They don't, don't got to be Celine Dion. Even though we were saying it's kind of a bit of a concert, you can't treat it like a concert. Exactly, because you still got to act. Exactly. It's still a Broadway musical. And still I dream he'll come to me. At the end of the day, I don't think they ever use that. <laughs> I don't think they use that, mo- that motif ever again. At the end of the day, no. At the end of the day, or at the end of the play, you're another year older. Oh, no, 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 no. no. But I, I also love the lyrics in that. I love how um, nasty they can get. And the righteous hurry past. They don't hear the little ones crying. And the winter is coming on fast, ready to kill. I um, think it's very poetic. Can I tell you my favorite little Jess, story? Please so, do. Before Sierra Bogus, Bogus. Bodges. Bodges. Before Sierra Bodges was super famous Sierra Bodges, one of her first professional gigs uh, was in the national tour of Les Mis. Yes, she was. And I love this story because she had beautifully, she's got a beautiful voice, one of the most beautiful voices in Broadway history. She do. She do. And in the national tour of Les Miserables, she was ensemble. Mm-hmm. And do you know what her one solo was? And in a bed. And in a bed. Yep. Sierra Bodges. Yep. I love that so much. But now look at her. Now she's Ariel. Yeah, she's Ariel, and she's Christine, was once Fontaine. <laughs> and, and, now, and now sometimes my friends and I will just be like, out of the blue, hand in a bed! All of the listeners are like, Jesus Christ, my eardrums. You're welcome. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's so many tales of that, of like, uh, famous people with like tiny so many Diane Keaton having the weird solo in White Boys in the original hair or Black Boys uh, in the original hair but that was a, a jump I was going off of like what other famous Broadway people have been in Les Mis mm. aside from Sutton Foster Nick Wyman yeah um, oh, well I mean a lot of people um, uh, Sarah, Nick Jonas started from <gasps> Ricky Martin was mm-hmm. Marius yes he was Nick Jonas was Gavroche when I did the final performance I remember meeting him because uh 
I cracked my 13 year old self tried to crack a joke to him and he was like a very serious Broadway kid and he was like that's not funny huh? and I went okay <laughs> fuck my tracks you know when Ricky Martin came out of the closet I was not surprised I don't think anybody was really surprised but when he came out of the closet I went well of course he was on Broadway <laughs> he was Marius he was Marius on Broadway everyone knows Marius's are bottoms hello um, I mean and Angelas are tops 100% honey we have Laurie Beachman as Fontaine Andrew McArdle was uh, Eponine on tour for a while, did Fontaine on Broadway. Right. Not as many uh, famous Cosettes. Melissa Erico was Cosette on tour for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so more Eponines that we tend to know these days. And weirdly, like, a lot of times they would have uh, actresses go back and forth between the two. I know I've uh, had a friend who was in The Last Revival, and partly what got her the job was that she came in and sang a song for Cosette. And then, like, well, do you belt? She's like, of course I belt. And then she belted because everyone was going in with, like, Eponine on the brain. And she was one of the few people that went in with, like, Cosette on the brain. And they're like, oh, great. You can cover You can both. do the legit soprano, but yeah. you can do the belt. Yeah. Hired. Yeah. And then she eventually went on for Fontaine for a bit, too. These things are interchangeable. You know what I mean? These things are interchangeable. These, these things are interchangeable. These things do happen. Well, until yes. you stop with these things happening, well, this thing does not happen. happen. I dreamed a dream. <laughs> Sorry, just using all the motifs. Um, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, at the end of the day, that motif's not ever used again. I don't think. Why do you think the motif of um, "On My Own" is used at, in "Come to Me"? Because they are both singing about a person they love who's not there. Come to me, Cosette. The light is fading. Don't you see? And there it is. Thank you. All and right. it's and it's the underscoring for Valjean's freedom because he's also alone. And then it's used again in the finale when they're saying, take my hand, I'll lead you to salvation. It's all three of them who have had that motif together. Valjean has his underscoring. Yes. Fontaine has it for her death. Eponine has it for her big solo. They all ha- come together to sing that motif. Because they have fine, because they have the love, and they're not alone anymore. They're together. They're united. Take my hand and lead me to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. But they're dead. Yeah, and? <laughs> well, and? There's it's all, a, also, it's a well, musical. Well, okay, well, also, and then another thing I was, I was thinking about the other day, I was like, why does Eponine show up? I was like, I was, so I'm... You explained it beautifully. Well, that, that thank you. But but in terms of also, um like, like the afterlife, like, would she know Valjean that well? They had that one interaction. And I'm like, it's almost not even about her connection to Valjean. Uh, there's something about it. So I've been watching um, Studio Ghibli films lately, which is um, Miyazaki, like uh, ah. Spirited Away. Yes, yes, yes. Spirited Away, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. And the way Miyazaki handles um, mystical things, because a lot of his stories have sort of like a magical component to them, he does not explain it, really. No. All, but the mystery is the fun part. Yes. And also sort of like, you know that he's done all the work on it. Like, he knows how the laws work in this magical world. And he'll give you little bits. He doesn't want to be exactly. totally He's confused. going to give you hints of, like, how he sees it. He's but not he ne- going yeah. to lay it out for you. Yes. And, and part of that is him sort of being like, there's so much that we'll never know. Like, why continue to ask so many questions? Just, like, 
look at just like it's there it's happened go for it and sort of that that's sort of how i feel with like eponine and the afterlife of like we don't know how the afterlife works like or or what's going on beyond there well you know let me tell you something i i figured out the afterlife well, I've wanted to die a couple of times watching your shows. Wow. But well, well, it's not I, as bad as me killing myself on stage for you so you can die while watching. So. Oh, please. Papa, please. The only thing you kill is your... I, Dignity? I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have an end to that sentence. It was a fill-in-the-blank Mad Lib. Kill, killing my vocal technique. <laughs> and in a bed. And in a bed. <laughs> and in a bed. And in a bed. And we're counting our blessings. Yeah. Not that I think that we've dug as much into the show as people could, but if we were truly to do that, like with a microscope, this would be a seven-hour episode. Yes, because the thing is, at the, at the root of it, what the writers say the names for me: Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alain Boubille. Yes, one they they really taken a very a one thousand page novel mm-hmm. and very they've simplified it to the best of their abilities mm-hmm. there's not a lot of subtext in this show and when uh, there is there i mean like the, the subtext comes into the music right but mm-hmm. like the characters say what they want javert wants to get valjean valjean wants to protect cosette marius wants to be in love with cosette wants to help the, like there's there's not a it's it's simplified to a degree that the most untrained theater viewer and i think this is why it's so successful mm-hmm. it's it's a dense plot that people can easily access mm-hmm. beca- because of the plot description in the program. Yeah. Um, the, but yeah, it still pl- challenges them. It still challenges yeah. audiences. Well, it, it does a lot of work for you, which is helpful, while also asking you to fill in some blanks yourself. It's a nice sort of like a uh, combo. It's a partnership in a way. Yes. Like we're, we're taking this very dense novel. We're making it, as simple as we can while also making it as emotionally effective as we can but we can't give you everything so you have to do some work on your own as well connect some of the musical dots we've given you some of the imageries we've given you and then like if you really really can't get the rest of it here's a plot synopsis so in the next annual revival of Les Miserables who would you cast today? well now we're going into my final questions oh very Um, good and we haven't touched on all the uh, motifs I will say one of the things I do love is Bring Him Home is used twice more. It's, I love they bring, bring Him Home is the music they play after all the students die. Yeah. And, the, and because it begins with Valjean taking Marius away, he's literally bringing him home. He's remembering the prayer that he asked for God. Oh, and because we're on that scene, think about that scene right now, the, the final pursuit of Javert mm-hmm. chasing Valjean in the sewers, it's looked down again. Mm-hmm. Oh, da 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 da, and then the it's you, Javert. I knew you wouldn't wait too long. Oh, so, uh-huh. so good. And Tenardier, uh, th- actually, probably the only time Tenardier uses a melody line that he hasn't repeated is in "Dog Eat Dog," which is like a weirdly, it's both poetic and really kind of, I don't want to say scary, but like there's something kind of chilling about how kind of calm "Doggy Dog" becomes. Someone's got to connect. There are tendons when the gutters run with blood. It's a world where the dog eats the dog, and they kill for the bones in the street. Well, this is the this is the one moment that Tenardier gets where you're just like, this is the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it. 
and this is how I'm going to survive. Yep. And he's not trying to be charming anymore. No. It's just... It's him at his most raw. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, yeah, here it is. And he's not even being like plain spoken. It's just... I don't know. It's like just a moment where... I don't even call it realization. Just it's... it's yeah, you're right. It's him at his most raw. It's him at his most honest. I think my least favorite moment is the end. I do... I like... I don't like, but I don't dislike dog eat dog i just don't like the ending of it 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 makes it's unnecessarily a big epic ending yes well and then also on most recordings of it they give it a button so he can get some applause on the in the production there's no button he goes right back into the scene so it's better but i agree it should not be a big no no no, because this is this is not uh an operatic character like javert or valjean this just let the character be disgusting and i wonder if they have cut that big money note for him since then because the show goes through changes left and right yes they've added I think they stuff. have added it down a little i mean cut it down yeah quite well a bit. because they they added some stuff they cut some stuff out I, I they you don't you didn't used to see valjean meet young cosette at the well that scene didn't exist and right. used to be after master of the house uh he brought cosette into the house again he's like i found her and then later on they added the scene where they meet and then they go back into the house uh, which is sweet because i like seeing little cosette scared in the woods it's it's really um endearing what other questions do you have about this? <laughs> fine let's do the final questions far too many notes for my taste what song would you cut if you had to oh probably i wouldn't cut it completely but we we're just talking about it doggy dog i would just mm-hmm. you know and, and i think they have just cut it down to half of it, what it is to its essentialness yeah yeah that's the thing with lame is with trimming it's like if you you have to make sure you're not being scissor happy you're not being right you have to make sure that like if there's a song where we're kind of just sitting on a moment a little too long you can cut a verse out like little people yes it was a little too long in the london cast recording they got it down to a verse, a chorus, and a verse. Well, and there was a whole part where the the entire chorus starts singing little yeah. people. No, just let it be. Let it be Gavroche's moment. Yeah, but I do, I do miss elements of little people. Well, it's because the part that he sings when he dies, he doesn't sing anymore. Right. And little people, no, they just cut to this only goes to show what little people can do, and then they go to the scene. And I'm like, I get it, we want to move things along, but you got to include the part that he sings when he dies. Yes, because um, that that that's that's impact. Yeah, and like they full circle moment. Yes, and there's a bit after Castle on a Cloud that they eventually cut, which is like Cosette being like. Oh help! I think I hear them now. It's Madame. Like just, it just cut right to her. <laughs> I love that scene. Well, it's fun to get that like big intro for Jenny Galloway yeah. going. Look who's here! But <laughs> but or I'll forget to be nice. nice. I do like her going. Not in my castle on a cloud. Boom! Now look who's that. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the few changes they made in the movie that I like is when Helena Bonham Carter goes, "You shut your face," or it's like, "You shut your mouth." It's like so. It's, like, even more aggressive to this little child. Yeah. Please do not send me out alone. You shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, um, yeah, I agree with you. There's no song overall I would cut. There are a couple songs I would maybe trim a verse off of. But that's it. I dreamed a Dreamcast. Who would you like to see in this show? Oh, golly. Uh, oh, okay. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, Philip Quest, he's, too, uh, he's, he's my favorite Javert because mm-hmm. of that 10th anniversary concert. So who do you, who, who, is, who is that now? You know, well, because we don't write for that vocal type we anymore. Don't anymore, it's all you know, big tenory parts. Well, it tells you that we have we had Will Swenson in the last revival, who is a tenor, yeah, trying to be a baritone. Yeah, he um, was okay. I, um, he did fine, but it was very clear that was not his vocal register, right. his wheelhouse. Right. Um, you could cast Jeremy Jordan as Marius or yeah. Angelra. He's more of an Angelra for me than he is Marius. But maybe I that's, agree. Maybe that's the Jack Kelly 
in him that yeah. I'm gravitating towards. I would like someone a little less like dreamboaty for Mary. It's like can be a can be pretty, but I want someone with a little bit of comedic timing because yeah. I think Heartful of Love should start off kind of funny. Yeah, well, it's it's it's, it's a first date, but it's not yeah. a first date. They're they're nervous. Yeah, yeah, and he literally is like, "I'm doing this all wrong." Uh, Eddie Redmayne, to his credit, he does kind of play the awkwardness of that scene. Yes. I would like an I would like a Marius to play that up a bit more and like the because he doesn't know what to say to her, and the first thing he says is something some kind of bullshit. Which is make which makes the song endearing. Then when Cosette repeats it back to him, where it's like, "I don't care, you're here." Yeah. Um, I got your Javert. Yes. Uh, Patrick Page would be an excellent... Javert. Yes, motherfucker! Yes! Ugh! Yeah. Stab me in the oh, face and, that and would call be, it a day. Yeah, if you could get... Yeah, get get Michael Arden as uh, uh, Jean Valjean and mm-hmm. Patrick Page. That would be great. Uh, I, Ava Noblezada did Eponine for a bit on the West End, but I would like her fun teen now. I think she's mm-hmm. the right age. She is young and she's around the right age that Fontaine would be normally but she has the vocal type that i like when they cast a slightly more mature woman in the role mm-hmm. so she's my fontine uh, uh eva noblezada we're casting all of hades down now um i mean she's great yeah uh, uh i would love to see oh i just had the name on the tip of my tongue and it's gone it'll come back uh everyone if we're doing truly just like oh great... got it christopher fitzgerald as tenardier would be good yeah that would you could do that yeah you want to make sure that there's some menace to them as well which i think christopher fitzgerald could do or even yeah. like a norbert leo butts kind of thing norbert it's like would be really, really have good. really good um oh actually you know who'd be a really good uh <laughs> would be david diggs <laughs> would he was it would he be like a little scary enough i think he could pull it off i think he's capable enough okay because i mean i i you you could he showed his versatility in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one eighty he played from Lafayette into uh, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is not a scary character, but there was a seediness to him that sure. I that I enjoyed. Um, that I, I think W. Diggs could have fun with as Tenardier. I would like to see uh, either Leslie Kritzer or Jennifer Samard as Madame Tenardier. Sure, absolutely. I would Je- I would, I would go with uh, Jennifer Samard. Yeah, in a heartbeat. It's truly, because we're dream casting. I would like to have Philippa Sue as Cosette because she has that kind of sadness in her face that Judy Kuhn had, which I think adds yeah. a nice pensive quality to mm-hmm. Cosette. I mean, honestly, you could cast Philippa Sue in any of those roles. Sure, she could sing the shit out of any of it. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of what she could bring the most to. Because yeah. again, Cosette is an underwritten role, but if Judy Kuhn could get a Tony nomination for playing it over Randy Graff as Fontaine yeah. or Jennifer Butt, sad last name, for Madame Sonardier... <laughs> Tells you a little something, do it That's not? That's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Um, who? Anjo. Okay. Who else are we forgetting? I think we got the core. Did we say? Uh, we don't have an. We don't have a Marius. We don't have a Valjean. We don't have an Eponine. But I said Michael Arden would be a good Valjean. Yeah, he'd be pretty he good. Could do it well. Yeah, but uh, that's a. Hard... I'm trying to think of someone who can kind of give off that like den father vibes you know what i mean yeah like the linchpin of it all that's a very that's a very specific type and like it's that's that you don't see that type on broadway much anymore listen let's look out into the world and find ourselves an unknown same thing with eponine let's find ourselves an unknown i don't want a pingy belter for eponine i want something a little more uh i think that's why leia salonga was so successful in the world because there was her vocal is it's her vocals are just so round and pure well i vulnerable maybe and I think it uh, shows when I cast Ava as Fontaine and she has played Eponine before. I think you want something kind of similar with your Eponines and your Fontines. You want a singer who 
has a voice that sounds like it's coming from pain. Mm-hmm. It's as you said, not painful to listen to, but you can hear the pain in their uh, in the singing. Yeah, I was watching the reunion with the cast, and Francis Raphael sang an Edith Piaf song for her audition, and got the spot got the job on the spot because they were like you picked the exact right song for eponine and not not even like in terms of like vocal uh range but just like the emotion that that role requires yeah. um it's a good yeah that, that makes sense yeah so i don't know who i want for eponine i don't know again an unknown TBD. Um, TBD. Next question. Rainbow High Spectacle. Do you think the show needs production value to work? How, or could it work down as a stripped down production? I think it could. I don't think you... I mean, the turn the turntable, I mean, it had its function. Yeah. It had its function. Like, when action was happening happening downstage, they could lower the lights, put on the tables, the chairs, set up the actors, and then r- rotate them so it has that cool cinematic effect. Yeah. Um, I know they didn't have a, a turntable for the revival, and to be honest, it didn't. It I didn't miss it, but it's like one of the few spectacle parts of the show that is kind of exciting to see. It's weird. I don't know why I'm so gung ho about a turntable. But well, I first of all, I love me a good turntable because when it's used well, it's like ah, and fuck, it's, it's fuck used me gently with so the chainsaw. Well. Yeah, it's used so well in Les Mis. It's used well in Hamilton. It was used great in the Carousel '94. I actually just had a memory. I might have spoken about this on the pod before. I don't. know. I've said a lot on this thing. I saw Hamilton at the public pretty early in the run, uh, and no one really knew much about it. Like, it was just a hot ticket because it was the Newland Manuel show. No one was like, it's the next whatever. And the revival of Les Mis had been out for a couple of months. And uh, my friend Emily and I were sitting behind two people, one of whom she knew, the other one was like a decently working actor, and they were debating seeing the revival, and they asked us if we had seen it, and I said yes. And he goes, does it work without the turntable? And I said, Lamez doesn't need a turntable to work, but it does need to move, and this revival doesn't move. Yeah. And there's your answer right yeah. there. Um, again, it's, it's you need some fluidity, and you need to remember that it is an opera, and it has to kind of... Everything has to flow. I think, to answer your question, I think it is pared down. The original production is pared down as much as it could be yeah. by having so many actors mind the props, you know? Yeah. And I think that's... And but if the concert also works, is there movement? There oddly, there's no staging, but it works no. as a concert because it's about the music. Yeah, they do show some clips from the stage show every now and then, like during intermediate oh, yes. stuff. But like that's more just for uh, completists who would like to have a little bit of that there. You don't need like you listen to the you listen to the album. You don't have that visual, and it works just fine. Yeah, I think if you're going to scale down, you can absolutely scale it down visually. You need a good director who can make it flow, who can give you the imageries you need to make the story connect where I will say don't skimp is on the orchestra. The music is, yes, is no. king. You need the strings. Yeah. You need, you'd like this. If in my perfect world, it's a 40 piece orchestra. Oh yeah. Yes, please. Uh, with still those 80 synthesizers. No. What is your ultimate rating of this show? One being no, 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 no way. There's no way. And 10 being now and forever. I mean, it's it's practically a perfect musical. It's I'm gonna say it's a nine point five. I'd agree with that. I think for all, for as many, it's the most perfect and perfect musical. Yeah, it has flaws, it but it does so, have flaws. But it does what it sets out to do perfectly. But exactly, it, it it there's a reason why it has been such a commercial success, and having two revivals on Broadway within. Mm-hmm. 
short amount of years between and an Oscar winning people want it and an Oscar winning film that made a lot of money despite the fact that not a lot of people liked it right Uh, it is beloved worldwide and Mm -hmm. there's not many things that is beloved worldwide Mm -hmm. there's the Olympics and there's Les Mis yep and then debates on which cast recording to get exactly what ah that's my question what's your primary cast recording 10th anniversary for sure yeah Uh, followed Pretty distantly by the Broadway cast because, again, we have more of Judy's Cosette stuff in there. Yeah. Actually, no. The only thing that we have on that cast recording that the concert doesn't have is the completion of her In My Life. Because uh, the rest of it, they cut. They We don't have any of her. Right. We don't have her, that was my cry, you heard, papa. So, I mean, so just go get your CD burners. Yep. And just like, you Mix know, it. And mix it. So yeah. You got all of In My Life. Here's Here's what you do, kids. Here's what you do. You grab the Broadway cast recording. You get the beginning of In My Life when it's Judy and Colm. And then once he says, truth will come to all of us in our time in our turn. And then the music swells. Transition from there into the dream cast so you don't have to listen to What's-His-Face as Marius. You can listen to Michael Ball instead. There we go. Wonderful. Beautiful. I don't mind Michael Ball. No, I I love Michael Ball. I don't remember the actor who did it on the Broadway cast recording. And I don't like him. I don't even remember his voice right now. He just, he has, basically he has two tones. He has shouting and he has like kind of whisper head voice he like i remember in red and black he's trying to do the like if you'd been there tonight you might also have known but he like can't the 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 placement of his voice isn't quite there ah. and then when he goes into chest for the next line it's like you might also have known it's like just too much whereas michael <laughs> ball is like butter uh, <laughs> it's like butter it's like butter just butter I, you know what i don't want to see and i know he played the part i don't I don't want to see Michael Ball play Javert. I don't need to see Michael Ball play I Javert. I don't need that either. No, no. No. I don't need it. Don't want it. Don't want to see it. I want to see Michael Ball do Tenardier. You want to know why? Why? Because it's casting you wouldn't expect. <gasps> Surprise. And if the man can do Edna, let's see him do Tenardier. Yeah, you want to know what? Just do, do, do you one better. Madame Tenardier. Yes, bitch. And on that note, Judy Kuhn is Angeras. Oh, okay. Now we're now we're having fun. Okay, here. let's strip this. Now di- we're having fun here. Let's do a strip down Lamez where it's just a one woman show with Judy Kuhn, but a forty piece orchestra I mean, and a turntable. I would buy a ticket today. Today, Ta- motherfuckers. Day. So, who is your gender swapped version of uh, Valjean Javert? Like who? Oh, what like women I'd want to see? Yeah, who would kick ass in those roles? That's um, a fun one. That's a real fun one. I'd like to see. Cynthia Erivo do Valjean. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear Audrey McDonald sing Bring Him Home, which yeah. I would love to hear that. That would be nice. Um, I don't want something super operatic. I want I need Audrey to scale back a bit, because part of the beauty of Bring Him Home is that it's... It's, it's simple. Very simple and very restrained. It's a prayer, yeah. um, which was important when they were doing the original lyrics, because the French version, that song, the lyrics are all about like Valjean's like jealousy of Marius, because like while, while he does love Cosette as a daughter, she's not really his daughter, and like his like prime years were taken away from him. So he's like, this boy gets to be sexual with her. Whereas I'll never get to be sexual again. There's a lot of that. And like the oh, French got weird. Yeah. No, no, a lot of those, a lot of those French lyrics. Yes. And then when they were giving it to Kretzmer, he was like, what is like, it's like, this is so high and quiet. How am I supposed to talk about sexual frustration? And then John Kerr was like, well, it kind of sounds like a prayer to me. And Kretzmer was like, great. It's a prayer. It's a prayer to God. There we go. It's a whole new song. Bring him home. Bring him home. Who's your, who's your Javert? Your lady Patty. Javert. 
Patty. <laughs> oh God, can you imagine? Can you imagine Patty and Audra doing uh, the, the confrontation? confrontation. Yeah, I would buy tickets. Oh like, my you know. God, yes. Yes. I mean that's I mean, that's not even age appropriate for either of them. No, of but... course not. But it's our fantasy, and let it, us feel it out. Exactly. I want I want to see Marie Christine era Audra mm-hmm. in a gender swapped as Valjean, and I want to see like I guess like Lema's era Patty doing Javert. Mm-hmm. She's starting to get into her lower register because the smoking is making her a little smokier. She's not as coked out high notes like she was in Avita. Right. So there's heft to it. And she could, yeah, and she would kick ass singing that song. Of course she would. Yeah. There we it. go. We love it. We love to see it. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Incidentally, I had a nice time. Who would have thunk? Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Hey, if you want to find me, please find me on all the socials. Uh, Instagram at Sutton Lee Seymour. I'm, I just joined TikTok. I don't know why, but at Sutton Lee Seymour on TikTok. I'm still figuring it out, kids. Don't get it. But I do have a nice video of me singing... Um, Today for you, tomorrow for me, as Carol Channing. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I do silly shit on there. And Facebook, of course, suddenly Seymour. Come see a show. Uh, I'm all over the place. He's great. I've been to many of the shows. Just don't wear fake glasses because he will take them off your face. Realize they're fake glasses and tell the entire room that they're fake. Did I do that to you? The first time we ever met, yes. To be fair, they were fake glasses. But I treated them more as sort of like an accessory, like a watch or a ring. I was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I like how they look. And then the moment you took them off my face, you shouted, these aren't real. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. Oh, the things you do to make people laugh. If you want to follow me anywhere, you can find me on Instagram and just Instagram at Matt Koplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, algorithm, 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 condoms, Rose, condoms, condoms, condoms. <laughs> condoms. Uh, if there's anything that we said we were going to discuss and we didn't, and I don't remember what we said we were going to discuss. We said a lot today. It's a long episode. I can't remember all of it. But if there's anything we said we were going to discuss and we didn't cover, DM me. Let me know. I will bring this asshole back in here to do a part two. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to go talk about Les Mis for another two hours. I don't know what more you can say about Les Mis for another two hours. Oh, Chip Zine, Chip Zion as Tenardier. That would be good, didn't you? I think he did it once. Thank God. There we are. All right. No, Chip Zine, Zine? Who cares? Who cares? Chip Zine and Joanna Gleason as the Tenardiers. There we go. Make it happen. Make it happen. And Kim Crosby as... uh, the fact, no, the factory worker. And in a bit! <laughs> I want to be here, little innocent sister. Um, so, yeah. Stay tuned for next week when we cover the next Andrew Lloyd Webber show. A nice, big, sweeping musical about a boy who just wants to be around a girl. Phantom of the Opera. Oh. A tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. You know, boy likes girl, boy gaslights, gr- gaslights girl, boy murders people to be closer to girl, boy terrifies the theater into producing his shitty opera. You know, as you do. God, it takes me back to high school. Yeah. Produced by Hot Topic. <laughs> 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 yeah, join us next week for Fan of the Opera. Uh, to close us out, um, I don't recall if we've done Ruthie Henschel. I don't think we have. If we have done Ruthie... Um, I'm sorry, everybody, but I think we should use her again today. You've got to close out with Ruthie Henshaw. I think I think we should, huh? I think you should close out with Ruthie Henshaw singing more from from Putting It Together. together yeah, I'm, I'm, because if you're not aware of Ruthie Henshaw in Putting It Together, go on YouTube right now and just type Ruthie Henshaw more 
putting it together. It is uh, a glorious performance. She's wonderful. I don't think we've had her. Let me double check. I'm well, almost positive. He's, he's getting the data bank out. The laptop is out. Listen, we've been doing this for a long time. We've I had know. a lot of divas. And you're trying to do you're trying to do a new diva every Have you ever had any repeat divas? Sherry Renee Scott we did um well. twice, which and it was by mistake. Uh, um, which is why I check now all the time. That's smart. smart. It is smart. Yeah. So we're going to close out with Miss Ruthie Henshaw. Are we doing Ruthie Henshaw as Fontaine or Ruthie Henshaw putting it together? I think putting it together just Very to switch good. things up. Just to, you know, just shake it. We talked a lot about Les Mis. Now it's time for more Ruthie Henshaw. Yay! <laughs> Bye, guys. Good night, everybody. Oh, count your blessings. One, two, three. I just hate keeping score. Any number is fine with me. As long as it's more. As long as it's more. I'm no mathematician. All I know is addition. I find counting a bore. Mom's mounting your account and does the counting. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.